episode number 310 of the Cleveland Moto podcast. Um, I can't pop a top. Somebody. There you go. Uh, My computer is soaking wet now. It is. You just you just hosed your computer with a, a Blake's hard cider. Oh, and it just was extraordinarily active. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I like to keep yourself from getting you know made fun of for drinking a white claw. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've got my uh, rum and Dr Pepper. I just opened that for the effect. Right. <laughs> and what an effect it had. It, in, indeed. So um, to my left is uh, me. Maybe uh, me. Go ahead. <laughs> On my screen, that's me. I don't know. And then, Dan, where are you? I don't know. Who am I? <laughs> I think we're all different on everybody's screens. Like, on my screen, it's me, Cinch, Phil, Dan's in the second row, Nick, Chris, and John's at the bottom. That's that's what's on my screen. I'd like you to know that you're at the bottom of my screen. Me too. Yeah, you're at the bottom of my screen, too. Good. Barrett, I'm in the sewer. It rolls downhill. Barrett says that we can move people around. Oh, we need a, like a standardized order. Oh wait, yeah, I can, I can. No, I can't. Oh, yeah, you I can, can drag and drag and drop each yeah. window. No, Steve can do it. I can't do it. I'm pretty sure the host can drag him in. Oh yeah, I can. Well, this is so I, I was able to move one. Order. Oh, that'd be awesome. Nobody has moved right. on my screen. Right. Nobody's moved on my screen yet either. I just saw a pop-up that said you can release your video order or your order. I'm I'm not sure what that means. Someone doesn't have the update. I can't move. I can't move anything, but I'm running Linux, okay. so it's probably like ten generations ago that they put out this right. program. Right, right. Well, there we go. Well, this is the way we are, but I don't know. So, um, well, that's the cat's ass. In my, yeah, we got a cat's ass. <laughs> and in the center square of Hollywood Squares for my game for the center square is Chris Smith. Yeah, me too. Hi, guys. Chris Smith. But Chris Smith is my center square. So no, it's, it's cinch for me in the yeah. middle. Hey, Smith, it's been a while. Uh, you got a joke for us? Well, first of all, I've got a new bowling shirt that I have to show off. Yes, please do. So let me know if you can read this. Nope. <laughs> Hold it closer to the camera. Oh, right there. That's good. Strikes, spares, and schmengies. <laughs> Does anybody know that reference? No. Oh, it's a schmangy. Uh, Kramke, you don't know that? No. Oh, my God. It's a schmangy. So, so you guys know um, Eugene Levy. Yes. And John Candy. So, along with a bunch of other people that all got their start at... Second City. Second City Television. Right. And they had a small little thing that they did called the Schmengi brothers. Yeah. So remember that. Yeah. yeah so, um, there was Yash and Stan Schmengi <laughs> and they were polka. They were a polka band. That's right. <laughs> and, um, they did, um, they did a takeoff on the last waltz called the last polka. And, it, oh. and, and if you've never seen, you should jot it down. And uh, and look it up on, uh, on on YouTube. It's it's really funny. But uh, they 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 throw some things out there where they say that they finally had to get out of the polka business. Uh, their last year, they put out fifty one albums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and apparently they had run into some uh, some issues. Uh, their background singers were the uh, 
I want to say the lemon twists or something like that. And there was some, uh, some talk about the uh, a fraternization with the lemon twists or whatever they were called. And uh, so they used to do a lot of uh, their concerts in bowling alleys. Okay. So, they, yeah. so, so, so they came up with these shirts called Strikes, Spares, and Schmangies. Schmangies. Which was one of their, uh, one of their albums. So you can look it up and they've got a, uh, <laughs> there you go. And, uh, that's great. The Schmangy brothers and their, the, the happy and, wanderers. And, and, and the happy wanderers. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really funny. And, uh, <laughs> cabbage rolls and coffee. Um, mm, mm, good. That's their, uh, their theme song. <laughs> so anyhow, Santa brought me a bowling shirt that said, Strikes, spares, and spangies. That's great. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. I was very pleased with that. Pretty deep. Um, if somebody comes up to you when you're walking down the street and compliments you on your shirt, be friendly right. person. Yeah. If they, they compliment like, me on my schmangy. Yeah, nice schmangy. <laughs> so this is a cool thing for people that want to uh, drink cocktails but want to drink cocktails in a hurry. Um, this is Pope's pope's orange habanero and pope's is out of shaker heights so uh right out of shaker heights ohio and what i what i really like about their stuff is it's really really tasty and they always put their ingredients on and this is just cane sugar orange juice and habanero so for people who like to have you know an old-fashioned but they want to have an old-fashioned that's got a little pepper kick at the end this um this orange I'll do it here. This Pope's orange habanero is just the express route to a very simple cocktail, you know? So that's a brown liquor? Yeah, you got it. Take take any of your whiskeys, whatever you like, and throw the Pope's in it, a couple of ice cubes, give it a quick spin, you're good. Yeah, I've had the Pope's uh, margarita mix is really good, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've got some pretty good ones, and... That's a good thing. That's a good thing to have around if you're just like, well, I just have bottles of liquor. I don't really don't really want to build a cocktail. These are things that are just just throw it in with whatever you got. Usually on the bottle, it'll tell you what it goes best with, you know, what kind of liquor to goes in it. So like some of the stuff I've got um, a lavender one that's particularly good with gin, you know, and I've got a I've got a citrus one that's particularly good with vodka. Right. So whatever vodka is. Some botanicals. Yeah, exactly. You know, you guys, you guys are all into the brown liquors and stuff. So I've been reading these Neil Perp books, and like, and the whole time talking about riding his motorcycles, everybody always talks about stopping and having a swig of McCollin, McCollin single malt eighteen or whatever. So yeah. I, was like, I have to be like Neil, and I have to find this. So today when I went to the store, they have a liquor, they have liquor part to the store, and I went in there. It's two hundred and seventy four dollars for a, the cheap bottle of McCollin. <laughs> And whatever, and I was like, <laughs> I can't live Neil Peart's lifestyle, man. <laughs> yeah. That's just uh, that's just the you know the sipping bourbon. That's not really the top shelf in his life. No, no, yeah, that's just chilling. Well, his life is over, but when he was here, yeah. The twelve years, the twelve years, good, and it's a lot cheaper. Is it okay? Yeah. But it's still it's still not a twenty five dollar bottle of bourbon, though, right? Even at that level, no, it's not a twenty five. You know, the best you can get for cheap. I mean, I don't know. I asked Dan because he's the expert. But well, I, mean, I, would, I would say get the, the Glenn Fittick 18 year or 16 year. Um, it, it's about 40 bucks. Really good uh, scotch. Well, here I can tell you guys how not to drink. 
So we're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about the elephant or the donkey in the room right now. What I do want to talk about, though, is what happens as a result of me waiting up until four o'clock in the morning last night to see the results come in. And so I what I had in my house is a, a 28 ounce container of uh, this is eggnog. Oh, yeah. And it's the good stuff, right? So it's all, it's the all natural, you know, no high fruit corn syrup or anything else. Um, wholesome, wholesome eggnog, which means it's at least 30% fat. Are there eggs in it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and what else is, what's terribly, incredibly bad about it is um, its ingredients are milk, sugar, cream, egg yolk. So <laughs> there you go, right? The problem is... I added to this 28 ounces, I added about eight ounces of Maker's Mark. <laughs> nice. The correct I, amount of eggnog that one person should drink per year is one serving. Right. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you added some stroh to it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think of going there. But so I did... I used a little bit of this eggnog to make uh, eggnog whipped cream in my, my whipping gun, you know, but the rest of it I drank. And this morning I felt awful. I mean, not hung over. Like, that's the thing is I didn't feel hung over. I, I didn't go to sleep yet. It was four, four o'clock in the morning. I just felt, I felt awful because I drank 20 some ounces of eggnog. And if you drink 28, 20 ounces of eggnog, you'll just feel terrible. It's just fantastic how bad you'll feel. I drank, a, I drank a bottle of Coquito when John brought her over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I brought him a bottle. I thought, you know, he'd sip a little bit, maybe give some to his wife. He had like 15 minutes later, he hands it back to me. I'm like, empty. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. hope you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. It was good. And I felt bad, though, because I didn't give it to anybody but myself. But hey. <laughs> All day long today, I just felt like a melting candle. That's one of my uh, New Year's resolutions is to be more selfish and more greedy. <laughs> Phil, Phil's going to have his triple stint bypass tomorrow now after the, the egg. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a lot of cream. And Lucky, luckily, you're not lactose intolerant. <laughs> I, again, I think if I was, I would have cured it <laughs> in the therapy right there. There'd have been no doubt. Um, but yeah, that's the most eggnog I've ever drank in one sitting. And there are seven servings in here at 200 calories per serving pre-booze. So, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a number on myself. Man. Plus, yeah, because the booze is about, what, 700 calories. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eight ounces of makers is a lot of calories, man. <laughs> so, wow, you're an overachiever. I really, I really was, and we all deal with stress in our own ways, right? The uh, so I have some, I've two big today. I took on two major projects. Um, my goal today was that I had to sit at my house on my ass, not go to the shop. I had to sit at my house and wait for Home Depot to show up with my new oven, my new stove. <laughs> And uh, turns out you cannot pick the stoves up at Home Depot anymore. That's not something you can do. Um, they have some there to show you, but they don't have stoves on the property. There's no stoves in that building, they, the ones you right. can see. There's no backstock. And so you buy the stove and they ship it out to you just from wherever the stoves are, right? So these guys came up, you know, no Home Depot truck or anything special. It was just like, you know, Dave's truck on the side. And these guys showed up with my new stove. And I got to say, this the, what's that? The stove was 
the stove was exactly a quarter inch bigger than the doorway between my dining room and my kitchen. And the got through the front door, no problem. But when they measure these things and they tell you that it's 30 inches, you know, from the narrowest point, it's not. It's like 30.6, right? And I had done all the measuring and everything else. And yeah, it was it was a battle, dude. It was a real war getting that thing in. And it Did turns out trim off. Did you have What's to take that? the trim piece off? I had to take the door handle off. So I had to take the, the door handle off of it and pull all the knobs off to make it fit. Oh, the door for the oven. Yeah, I had to take oh. the door handle for the mm. oven off. And I had to take the, actually had to take the, the oven door apart to get the door handle for the oven off. And then, so that was good. And, you know, you, you do all that, you feel pretty good about yourself. And then you realize that none of the fixtures, I don't know why they would ever change the fixtures to mount a stove. It should be a one-half by law, it should just be a one half piece of black pipe for handling the gas with a compression on it. And that should be it. You're done. That should be that way for a hundred years. Yeah. No, no, there's, there's a kit now that you're supposed to buy because apparently the kit has all the adapters in it for whatever Chinese stove you happen to buy. So that was uh, got to go to home Depot for that. So I figured, well, I got this project with this Fister faucet. It's a Fister faucet uh, in my bathroom. I got new cartridges for it. Had to, you know, mail them in from deepest, darkest, wherever. Is that, uh, is that produced by uh, Jay Anus? I do, it may be produced by Jay Anus, that, that, that Fister. It's a Fister by Jay Anus. And the, uh, I went to put it together. And as I was... That's a good one, Steve. Took everything. <laughs> did the job beautifully. Everything was clean. I, I used Chore Boy and I cleaned up the seats for the, you know, the cartridges and made sure the threads were nice. I mean, really did it. Put everything together, went up top, turned the knobs on, and I heard, I heard water, but my hands weren't getting wet. Oh, no. It turns out when I put the, car, when I put the new cartridges into the uh, Fister faucet, there's actually these uh, pot metal tubes inside. The whole thing's cast. Mm. So everything on the outside's chrome, but the inside's all cast. Yeah. And so it was all just garbage castings inside, and the castings cracked. So the castings had cracked inside, so all the water was going in under my sink. So... Great. So if you're going to go to Home Depot for one thing, might as well go to Home, Home Depot for like nine things. So now I have a faucet in my bathroom that when you turn the water on, it lights up. <laughs> it's real. I mean, and it's not even like that was a lot more money. It was like $49 for a faucet that when you turn it on, light it comes in. And there's no batteries. So it must is that, for, is that for reading or what? That's what he said. <laughs> well, it doesn't help you with the obvious problem. The obvious problem is getting to where the water comes out, right? There, there's no problem with once the water's going, you can feel the water. You know where it is. You turned it on. I don't need the water to become a source of illumination. I need illumination to get to where the water is, <laughs> you know? Hey, speak, speaking of Home Depot, Hofford, I found a solution for you, dude. Check this shit out, man. I didn't even know this existed at Home Depot. Look at this shit. 12,000 bucks. Two-story house. And look at You can even just the inside of it. You are <laughs> kidding me. Comes wow. furnished. I mean, how much? No, it's not finished. Obviously, you got to put all the stuff in it. Comes furnished. Yeah, it's 12. It's 12 no, it doesn't come furnished. It's $12,050. <laughs> 12,000 bucks. pictures inside are not equal to the pictures outside. Uh, they are. That's the, the thing in the window. Look. Eh, go back. Or... There's, there's a double door in the door. front. No, no, there's a, no, that's not the same view. That's not the same building. 
That's the garage. Oh, that's what their ad is. I'm sure it's like it's yeah. relatively the same. Maybe that's the, the back door. The windows are different. <laughs> yeah, the windows are different. Settle down. That's <laughs> uh, the upstairs. The relationship between the relationship between the height of the wall and the width of the wall is incongruous. Mm. Either way, you can get a house for twelve grand and put it on your thing and put some a shit. Twelve thousand dollar house at Home Depot. Yeah. Does Joanna Gaines come out and decorate it for you too? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'd rather live in a place that's got raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 already live in a place that has raccoons. Wait, that's Michigan. what I'm saying. Wouldn't be, I'd be lonely without them? Right. So. So it went uh, the other day, what, last Saturday, John, was it? Saturday or Sunday? Saturday? Yeah, I think it was Saturday. Yeah, we went we went out to Steve's property, and and, and they lured me in with, we're burning houses down, but we just burned a big pile of shit. <laughs> it's fun, though. It's a lot of Michael, fun. Michael Fresh almost blew me up. He did. I hope you have play footage of that. No, first, you, you tried to light me on fire. So I fucking lit you on fire. Fuck you. I didn't know. You're the gasoline you had. I was literally standing on the fucking pile dumping gas on it, and he fucking lit me up. No, you were dumping the liquid out of that gas can that was like a flame retardant. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) was. Everything John put it on wouldn't burn anymore. (laughs) Fucking totally caught fire. You have a fucking soaking wet pile of fucking mushed up fucking barn wood. And you wonder why it won't fucking burn. Oh, it burned, baby. It burned until the next morning. <laughs> oh, really? But it was. Uh, who who was pouring it? John, you were pouring it, right? And he lit it. Well, first, I was I was pouring it, and it wouldn't light. So I was I was dumping. I was literally standing on the pile, dumping some more on it. And he's like, "I'm lighting it," and fucking lit me up. So then, when his dumb ass got out there with some fresh fuel, I'm like, "I'm lighting you up." I said it three times. I'm lighting it. I'm lighting it. I'm lighting it. I was running. <laughs> His little fucking short wearing ass was engulfed in flames. <laughs> I bet you got no hair on your legs. It got it got well, to point, though, this thing, smooth like boy you. It got it got so hot that at one point you couldn't stand ten feet from this fucking thing. It would just like you'd go blind and your face would fall off. Like it was insane. Oh, shit. It was, it was a good fire, man. Yeah, trying to approach it to put more wood on it was very difficult. So then, of course, I had to fly a drone into the fire a whole bunch of times because that's what you do. Yeah, I was going to say that that drone was definitely 100 percent in the, the video I saw. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 well, was way too much fire. And then I came out of it and then it was still on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I hightailed it up to a higher elevation. And then when it came down, it's no longer its original shape. It seems to have taken on a bit of a warped uh uh, contour now <laughs> it's screwed <laughs> yeah it was fun though that was a good time man yeah but after you left we started chucking whole five gallon gas cans in the fire i found it i found it next to your garage i was like hey you have any plans for this he was like bring it oh, over yeah right when you yeah right when you were leaving <laughs> that was good that was awesome <laughs> i had the empty can and steve threw it on there it shot like a 20 fucking foot flame out when it like landed and like it expelled and it was just, and it went, whoo, <laughs> But then we had a full one and that thing was pretty exciting. <laughs> it didn't explode, but we didn't keep them capped off. The next time we got to leave the cap off and let them fucking poof. And I think we poke a hole in it, a quarter inch hole, so that when it boils off, it shoots a huge freaking stream of flame out of it. And the yeah, best just part- pop the vent, pop the vent. 
And the best part, though, the whole the best part of the whole day is next to Steve's new property. There's a guy who runs a, <laughs> a fucking wood, a firewood business or something. Oh, he has okay. all his stockpiles of firewood sitting there. And we're basically burning the whole fucking neighborhood down all within 10 feet of his stockpile of wood. <laughs> <laughs> He's just nervously looking over at Steve, chucking fucking five gallons of gas into the fire. <laughs> that would have been one hell of a campfire, man. It would have been oh, great. Yeah. That'd still be burning if it would have caught his shit on fire, dude. Well, the barn is burning this weekend, so I'm burning, burning the barn, the barn down. down. Oh, I'm there. What day? Saturday. All right. It's on. That pile burned down to nothing. There wasn't anything left. There was a fine white dust, and that was it. So that stuff burned absolutely down to nothing. You just have nails there forever. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Let's see if I can make it. Cover it up with some dirt. Yeah, run back there through the big magnet all the time and just just <laughs> constantly pull nails out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll never need to buy nails again. No, you won't. <laughs> That's it. And they'll be fresh and clean nails, too. And they're tempered. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Burn down the barn. Burn down the barn. Hey. That would have been so today, I f- think I might have found the the cheap Harley I've always been looking for to do a Rika kit to. Oh. And so today on Facebook Marketplace, which means there's only a 93% chance it's a scam, mm-hmm. uh, there is a 2001 Sporty, and it's an 883, but most importantly, it doesn't have the stupid 21-inch front wheel on it. Hmm. So it's just like a, a regular Sporty standard. Which means that's a bike that we could actually make into uh, a Rika cafe conversion. Would you actually buy the Rika kit, or would you do your own? You know, that's a good question because I do like I do like the gas tank that Rika uses. I like their gas tank, and I'm strangely interested in their bizarre shitbox exhaust, that weird wedge shaped exhaust that goes under the bike. But I don't think it'd be that difficult to make something like that. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's two pipes that come together and go into, if you bought like one big canister, yep. and did a little pipe bending and welded them into a canister. It's not, doesn't look super. Hey, Steve, can you pull up a, can you pull up a picture of the, the Rika kit for the Sportster? Yep. How do you spell it? R-Y-C-A. And it's not even a, a round canister. It's a square no, box. Square. It just It requires no skill to make it. But like, which means it'd be right up our alley. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> hey, oh, don't oh, say oh. that. <laughs> oh, that's annoying as hell. Yeah. <laughs> there you so go. that's the yeah. bike. I mean, it's just a stand. I mean, it's just you know, okay, junky thing around. Yeah. So that yeah that that Rika kit's just using the standard gas tank. And well, uh, if you buy it, that, I'm painting a, a Sportster gas tank in the next week or two. Some interesting. Uh, yeah, so that's like that's just the sports to that's the one of the Rika setups and but yeah that's you know that's just basic eight eighty three you know eight eighty three cafe racer easy peasy. And I just watched a video on mandrel built bending pipes. You know, uh-huh. basically get yourself a section of pipe, yep. weld a cap on it, fill it, pack it full of sand, pack full of sand, then get yeah. yourself a nice torch, heat it up cherry red. The guy used a uh, an old rim with a little stud welded off of it to capture the pipe yeah. and you just bend it around a rim, you know what I mean? And get a nice little bend to it and stuff. And then, you know, it's doable. It takes a little time and fucking around, but, mm-hmm. or you get the Harbor Freight pipe bender. 
Yeah. But I don't, I, I have a feeling that's not going to do as nice a job as you I want. tried the Harbor Freight pipe bender and I didn't do the trick with the sand inside first. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the first time I did the Harbor Freight one, I basically just flat and just, just failed, just completely yeah. fucked out. And then I did the sand trick. And once I did the sand trick and then capped the other end so the sand couldn't just run out. Um, yeah, that worked really great. One of the things I did is the one cap on the end, Uh they welded a threaded, they welded a threaded nut onto it and had another plate where they could actually tighten it down and pack the sand even more. That's Mm -hmm. really smart. That's, that's super clever. This is actually pretty interesting, Phil, and it's made for uh, motorcycle shops, retailers and things. When I looked up Rike, I saw this and I was like, "Hmm, what is this? Check this out. This is pretty interesting. They, they help you market your shit, but look at how they do it. Like, Watch this video. They make everything three dimensional. So, like, if you oh. want to remove the oh, seat, neat. you can remove the seat. You can add. Watch. They'll add different parts. Like, look at Africa Twins all torn apart. Yeah. You can add any fucking accessories. That's interesting. All yeah. on the website. Good animation for showing how things work. Yeah. And then look at there. There's like a new you know foot peg thing. It shows you for installation. Look. Right. This is kind of neat. That is cool. That's pretty cool. That's neat. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, look that's that. that's, that's an excellent. Look, bam! Yeah. Now he takes the seat off. Oh, I want this seat. All right. That's know. an excellent tool for visualization, letting people know, um, you know, how would my bike look this way? Because that's what everybody wants to know. That's the reason they're playing around with stuff. Yeah, uh, that's really how, cool. How can I look more adventury? There <laughs> <laughs> you go. Wait, come on! Oh no! Do do they have one of those videos for wives so you can see what she looks like <laughs> in forty years? Different levels of alteration. You know, at this very moment, some Russian wife service is totally investing in that where you can like take her clothes off and <laughs> or his, whatever. I'm not trying to be sexist. So. Yeah, you guys have heard me say that one of my guilty pleasure bikes that I, I wouldn't really ever want to admit that I like is the Yamaha Morphous scooter. Um, the one that looks like a, a casket or some people say a, a casket that is a jet ski. Um, it's, I mean, it's an ugly, I mean, it's an ugly bike, but I love the Cadillac taillights on it. And I like, there's elements of the bike I really like. Well, Sleepy Pull Up 2006 Yamaha Morphous, and it's spelled funny. It's M-O-R-F or M-O-R-P-H-O-U-S. And I wanted to know if it came in a green color, if green was a factory color, because there's a guy selling one. That Come on, Sleepy Chop Chop. They're, they're, they're selling the bike, and the bike is a green bike, and it's kind of an interesting color. It's not a normal... That's nothing I've ever seen. I've never seen... Everyone I've seen has been purple, you know? They've all been... Every single one of them that I have ever tried to lay my hands on has been that purpley dark blue color, right? I'm and, noticing a certain age group that's really digging this scooter. <laughs> I know. I get the point. Believe me. The, uh, so, yeah. So, I've never really seen... I've seen a couple of them that were slammed oh, oh, on the oh, ground. Oh, oh. oh, there you go. All right, so there you go. Click oh. on that. There you go. That's a green one. But I don't think that's a factory color. In fact, I think that might even be the one I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's the one. So that's uh, a yeah. that's the uh, that's the dealership. Yeah. That's the bike. I think that's an aftermarket spray job. That's a cool color. It yeah, is a cool color. It's like gloss olive drab. It does. Yeah. It looks. <laughs> I mean, it looks. I say that because that's the color I was looking at to maybe paint my scout. Okay, it, so it'd be called. It looks like it has more more clear than a standard paint job would have. It does. Yeah. It looks like it's olive, not so drab. Dearborn Heights, Michigan. I like it. 
Yeah. So anyway, pretty, I mean, the, the paint job looks pretty fucking good, though. It does. It does. And I do overspray and shit, you know, like it's done professionally. Yeah. I just can't, I cannot possibly explain away why I like the look of those bikes. You mean they actually took the body work off to paint it? Didn't leave it on the bike. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I saw, I was, I was going over some painting videos, like to get some uh, ideas of mixing cattle and whatever. Anyways. And uh, all these videos come up and this girl's like painting my R1 in one afternoon. My boyfriend's a pro. I'm like, okay, (laughs) he just puts a paper bag over the tires and just sprays the whole bike. My boyfriend's a pro, huh? <laughs> and at, the end, at the end, they're sitting there staring at this flat-colored, fish-scaly, orange-peely-looking mess, and she's like, I love it! It's so good! And I'm like, why did I just spend 10 minutes watching this video? It was terrible. Yeah. You learn what not to do. Hopes, yeah. Everyone hopes to find a, a, a really appreciative girl with eye problems. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> that's, that's all you can hope for in life. Distance is a bike's best friend sometimes. That's right. Yes. I mean, she's so grateful and she's so myopic. It's great. <laughs> so, so. I was watching a movie where uh, it's called The Alienist. And the the one, the guy was hooking up with this chick who was mute. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, huh, no, no problem with that. Can't say a word. Fuck. That's the perfect woman. It really is. Uh, no, it's I not. Would, I, I, it's I not. I'd just be me stupid. I'm <laughs> Dude, what bitch, would you in sign language? Yeah, I was about to say, you just see this all day. <laughs> hey, two weeks ago, I told you guys how awesome this was. Yeah. Right? Two weeks Burned ago. out. And uh, <laughs> I had this thing on the charger overnight. So it got like, you know, 18 hours of charge. Yep. And we're maybe 30 minutes into this podcast. And this thing is just failed. I mean, yeah. it's just weaker than hell. So, yeah. I have a story about an electronic device that I got for Christmas. Uh, My solar-powered phone charger pack, which I left in the window for two weeks, <laughs> has not gone up one bar at all. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's winter, so I mean, yeah. But I mean, it, the funny thing is, it knows that there's sun. Like when you put it in the window, right. it lights up and starts going doot doot doot. It's done that for two weeks, and I think it's just getting enough energy to go. Doot, 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 yeah. doot. I, had, I had a big one, dude. It was like this long and whatever, but it didn't really have, it had a small battery, but it mostly was just there to collect energy and pump it to your phone, right? Right. So this was actually at Mid-Ohio about three or four years ago. I put my phone in the car, and I put the thing on there. And you yeah. know when you charge like an Android, it'll say, you have two hours and 51 minutes to full charge, right? Okay, yeah. Plug this thing in. And it was like at current charge rate, your phone will be charged in 39 hours and 14 minutes. <laughs> What's the I did I, point, man? I got one of the cases when the solar cases came out and I did the same thing. I popped it up. I popped it up on the dashboard and I left it there at a rally. You know, it was in the window for like 12 hours and I came back and I was like, it's at a lower percentage than it was when I put it up on the dashboard. So, yeah, yeah you know, you're terrible. Yeah. Well, solar's going to save us, though. If, you know what? If you've got enough of it, yeah, you know, that's it. You got to remember with solar, more is good. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, I bought a cheapo, uh, you know, just like a solar panel about yay big for the yeah. RV, and that thing actually would put out some like it would read eighteen volts and yeah. it would actually charge a battery. You know what I mean? Yeah. I noticed a big difference. I hooked it up and, and hooked it to the battery in the back of the RV. 
And sure enough, it would keep it charged up really nice. So That's cool. <laughs> my, my panels are six feet tall and three plus feet wide. Right. And they're 280 watts. Yeah. Okay. And 24 volts. So yeah, not, I mean, so I mean, you could imagine that a, a solar panel this big has so little square area. That's probably putting out like a tenth of an amp, you know, yeah, at twelve right. volts. So the kit that Harbor Freight used to sell three panels, and there are three panels about. Hey, hey, Piper! The three panels Hi. are about three feet long and maybe you know eleven inches wide each, and. I tested those out and they were supposed to be 40 watts. Like that was the whole thing is they'd advertised it as a 40 watt system. And I, on the hottest day of the year, having that thing hooked up, it was putting out 21 watts, <laughs> you know, seven watts per giant panel. So I hope yeah, you're going to run an air conditioner off of that. No. <laughs> you're going to run and nothing off of that. Yeah. Because those were like amorphous panels too. And they don't, their, their efficiency is even lower. They're terrible. Yeah. But it was like, it was one of those kits. It was like 80 bucks at Harbor Freight. And I was like, yeah. well, I'll just throw, up, throw them up on the roof of my Airstream just to keep the batteries from dying. And then that, I, once I tested it. That phone them, charger like, might work on like the sunniest fucking day ever. It <laughs> might actually charge itself <laughs> up. But on any other day, a gloomy day when you're lost in the woods, you're right. fucked. You're in a, yeah. There's no power there. You'd have better luck rubbing it on your head. The only good thing is I think it has a pretty sizable battery in it. So if you plug it in and charge it up, at least it's a nice battery pack. You got a nice battery. Yeah. yeah. That's battery. Right. The two I have are the same way. It's got a small solar panel, but it's a 10,000, 10, uh, what would that be, milliamp hour? Milliamp, yeah. So that'll charge three phones, I mean, all day for us. So. Well, that's, what that's not the fucking point. I wanted free energy to charge my cell phone. It's going to have to be free. When I go camping now, I have um, a bunch of my old school, like giant cinema drone batteries that I can't use anymore. I don't even like, I don't trust them for the big rigs or anything because they're too right. old, but they're 10,000 milliamps, six cells. So it's 24 volts, six F battery pack. Yeah. Adapter. You can get like a hundred phone charges off the fucking thing. dude. It's like, <laughs> it's like having the best little battery pack in the world in your car. Did you guys see on one of the forums, the, the guy had come up with uh, two batteries for zeros and they were both the big 14.4 kilowatt hour battery packs. These, these are monstrous. I mean, these are um, 160 pounds, right? And so this is a 14.4 kilowatt hours is a lot of energy. And so the guy showed up on the forum and he'd said, look, I have two of these. Um, one of them is testing out at like 47 volts and the other one's testing out at like six volts. Right. Hmm. Um, I want to sell them. What are they worth? And you know, this is that thing. It's like, okay, so if it's a 14.4, it's a zero. It's not that old. It's, it's only, it can only be like two to three years old. Right. So that's a very young battery pack. Right. But the downside is if that thing's been sitting discharged for a really long period of time, it, it starts to get like, you know, how do you trust it kind of thing? And I don't know. I mean, I'm not good enough with a batteries yet to be like, oh, well, take a chance on it because we know the one that's only got seven volts on it. It's supposed to have 106 volts on it. Well, the problem, too, is if you have a, uh, they're epoxy, uh, each cell yeah. is epoxied. In, I mean, they're total. So you wouldn't, if you have a burnt out cell in the center, what are you going to do? You got to drill it all out, or cut it, cut them in half, and cut out that cell, and then re-epoxy them, and then you'd lose, you'd lose a couple volts. I mean, for what are the twenty cells for a hundred, for a hundred volts? So each cell is. I mean, ask Nick to do the calculation, but I'm just saying it's not, it's not worth it. 
Yeah. Well, it, you know, the real thing is this, though. It's not showing zero. So if it was at zero, that'd be a problem. But well, since it's still holding up six volts, that maybe it's just dead. And if you charged it up, and it would it would hold the voltage. There's no real way to tell it unless you put it on a charger and let it go through a cycle and see, then test it, and you'll know. That's the only way. If it's well, if it's reading six volts, it's a lot of it is dead. Not just one or two cells. A lot of it is dead. It depends yeah. because you can hyper discharge, and this is what I was going to get into. And I do not recommend anybody do this unless you're experienced where you have an outside area. But a lot of the big batteries, lithium ion, um, lithium polymer, and a lot of the other ones I've dealt with. A lot of the times, if you you overrun them and like you ran them down, like it was an emergency situation. Say I was flying a big drone and I had to get a shot. It was coming back, and like I'm like fuck, I'm way below three volts, whatever. And you could see the thing losing power come down. When you get home. I'd have it down to like 1.4 volts a cell, which is basically a dead lithium ion or whatever. But I found that if you have an old nickel metal hydride or a normal battery charger, now this is, it's dangerous. You can't do this in your living room or your whatever. But if you hook it up to a very low voltage rate, like one amp charge on an old school, like normal, like nickel metal hydride. Thumb charger. Thumb charger. And you put it on for about 15 to 20 minutes and let it start to build a little bit of voltage. And the battery will start to heat up. You got to be careful and you have to monitor it. A lot of times when you take that off and you put it back on a lithium ion charger, it like it somehow kicks the battery in and I brought them back all the way up to full charge. I mean, they might have lost three percent, you know, like you, they're not they're not a brand new battery, but for a backup or something that you need to use. I've had really good success in bringing them back like that. I've, I've tried that with uh, a Shirai, uh lithium motorcycle battery. Um, and it was the, the thing where you plug it into I, I have I do radio control stuff all the time. So I have a lithium polymer battery charger. And uh, I plugged it into the the Shirai, which is actually a, a lithium uh, iron chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's and, and I have a lithium iron chemistry setting on my charger, and and it would not detect. It was so low, the voltage was so low that it would be like we can't charge this. So I tried that, uh, you know, bumping up, you know, just doing like a lead acid setting right. uh, to to sort of bump it up to to a voltage that I think would would work, and then I'd plug it into the the lithium uh, setting. And uh, it, it would charge for a long, 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 long time and then never get anywhere because uh, it had uh, at least one bad cell. Uh, and and if, if this is a uh, how, how, what's the voltage on these packs? Like 120? They're normally oh, 106 is nominal. 106. So that's like 30 cells series. Exactly. Uh, if you're doing six volts over 30 cells in series, that's an average of 0.2. Point less two. than point two, yeah. so that those are toast. Those are toast. So here's an interesting thing for. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was going to say with the. I like the nickel metal hydrides mm-hmm. because if the back got out of, of balance, you just ran it until it went totally dead. Right. Yeah, I've got. I've got. I've got some old like NICAD stick packs like for RC or nickel metal hydride, and those come right back, even yeah, like 20, 30 year old packs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you that's the trick, like with your cordless tools. Yeah, you take the put the battery on it, hold the thing down, tape the the trigger, and just let it run till it totally dies. Then you slap it back in the charger, and it'll charge. Like they need a reference voltage, or they need to show zero for some smart chargers to actually charge them. Or you fuck around and just keep putting it back in, and it gives a little charge, gives a little charge, and then finally it takes hold. So that's that's what I wanted to discuss. So I don't know if you guys know, but a little while ago, Dan gave me a old Schumacher battery charger. Right. So he gave me one of those typical battery chargers that we've all seen. It's you know got the metal case, 
probably sits on your top of your workbench and it's predominantly done for charging cars. You know, it's got a two amp setting on it. It's probably got a 10 amp setting on it. Some of them had a 50 amp kind of jump start setting, right? Start setting. But those chargers now are actually becoming a prized item. Okay. And the reason they're becoming a prized item is every charger you can buy now from all the usable, usual dirt bags, um, they're all going to have a smart circuit in them. They're all going to have the word automatic stamped on the front. And the reason they have the word automatic stamped on the front is because of lawyers. It's because of them wanting to protect their company from idiots burning their houses and garages down. So all of these, uh, battery chargers that you can buy off the shelf and and even if you're buying a cheap battery charger it still has this little bit of technology in there that says if this battery's less than 11 volts um i'm not going to even try to charge it because if it has less than 11 volts on a 12 volt battery that means one of the cells in it is dead right so in a 12 volt battery you've got six cells and each of the cells is two volts and the reason they set this ambiguous level on these chargers is if you got 10 volts um you could have a dead cell but if you've got over 11 volts then that means all the cells are present and accounted for go ahead with the charging the downside is at this time of the year many of our motorcycle batteries will drop to below 11 volts and of course, it's in the winter, it's in the garage, and we go out in the garage and we go, oh, that's right, you know, I got that bike over there, I'm going to pop the charger on it for a little while. And you pop the charger on the bike, and the bike's voltage is below 11, and so the smart charger may be sitting over there and giving you the impression that it's working, but it's not. And you may come back a week later to think that your bike has been on this automatic charger, on this automatic maintainer, and in fact, come out and find your bike is deader than it was when you hooked it up. (laughs) And that happens a fucking lot. So to prevent that from happening, either go to every fucking garage sale in your neighborhood and every estate sale and look and buy these old chargers that are going to just have a standard one switch on the front. It's going to be like a two amp, 10 amp switch because those are not going to have that circuitry built in avoid the word automatic right and if you see the word automatic and it has a picture of a car on it right it it might not even work on your motorcycle battery and it might be the worst thing because it won't shut off Mm -hmm. it's looking for the power signal coming back from a car battery to tell it the charging cycle is complete and shut the fucking thing off with a motorcycle it might just boil out your battery which we've seen that happen many times half the time the automatics don't they don't even monitor correctly too because then they have like they have the three settings with the different types of batteries but i put them on um i put them on my ambulance it never gets above i can leave it on forever and it never gets above 75 percent exactly so here's what i'm going to suggest to you if you don't want to find one of these antique battery chargers if you want to skip that step what you have to do is you have to leave the automotive industry and you have to go into the world of being a bench tech and what you need to buy is a power supply for your workbench and they sell these power supplies. Power supplies used to be expensive. They used to be a couple of hundred bucks for a good five amp power supply. Well, now you can go on, you know, the Amazonian empire and you can get a good quality power supply. You plug it into the wall and then you have a really good amount of control. So you can, there you go. That's in fact, Nick's got the same one I've got. This is Amazon's best. Yeah. 60 bucks, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, $60. This is uh, up to 30 volts, 5 amps. 
Right. And you can adjust the amps and the voltage and that little thing he's holding his hand right there. That thing works so well at taking a battery that is just soft or you want to test the battery. A lot of these devices that we use, I know Chris has got a whole bank of those battery tenders, right? He's got literally this one brick and it's got four battery tenders built into it. It's the, I've got a lot of bikes battery tender. Mm -hmm. And what, when you plug it in and you hook it up, it, all it tells you is green, the battery's fully charged, right. flashing green, I'm kind of working on it. Red, the battery's fucking cashed, dude, but I'm gonna get it charged up. And flashing red, which means this battery is busted, it's broken, or the terminals are wrong, but I'm not even gonna try. So you've got flashing red, red, flashing green, and green. Many times we'll take a battery, hook it up to a battery tender or an Optimate type, you know, smart charger, and they'll say that the battery's no fucking good. It'll give you that flashing red. What you got to do is you got to take that battery, hook it up to that power supply that Nick just showed you, and set that bad boy at about, you know, a thousand milliamps or so, about an amp, and then set it for about 13 volts. And what you've done is you've just, you are now a manual charger. You're charging it as manual as can be. Now, don't go on vacation <laughs> because it's going to keep chooching the whole time you walk away from it. But the idea is you leave that on there for an hour or so, come back, plug that exact same battery back into that battery tender or that Optimate. And now all of a sudden, what do you got? Either a red, I'm working on it light or a, a flashing green, I'm nearly done light. So... I Many people, isn't it 80, 80 percent is uh, the flashing green, right? The flashing light's usually 80 yeah, percent. But yeah. many people I know would see a flashing light on their on their battery tender and throw the battery away. And you know what the best uh, dumb charger is? Another battery. Best. Absolutely. So take, take your motorcycle battery, pop the hood on your car, set it there, hook up a set of jumpers to it and just let it sit there and cook for a while. And it that's gonna if it, if it can put 12 volts into it that will put 12 volts absolutely into it. and it can't cook it it can't overcharge it and that's the nice thing about charging dc with dc you know charging direct dc to dc is if you've got a 13.6 volt source of a dc battery and you hook it up to a five volt source what's going to happen is based on the capacity of the battery they're going to average each other out they're going to pull one down to the other one you now if you have a bad battery and you hook it to a good battery guess what you can You'll soon have a dead both batteries will be dead and that's but that's a good test if you hook a you know your motorcycle battery up to the car battery mm -hmm. and it doesn't and you pull it off and it didn't charge and it drained your car battery it's yeah. junk yep throw a couple of aspirin in your bad battery too well, and what I do with that, I mean, if I'm trying to resuscitate a motorcycle battery is, you know, my old trick is dump everything out of it, dump all the acid, fill it full of water, shake the shit out of it, get all the sediment out of the bottom. You turn your battery over, especially the ones that are translucent, you can see all the black uh, shit laying on the bottom. Shake it up, dump it out, shake it up, dump it out, do that like a half a dozen times, then fill it full of fresh acid. And nine times out of ten, it, it's never going to be as strong as a brand new fresh battery. But usually it'll charge up and give you 12 volts at least to support ignition or to get something running that you can, you know, jump it, get it running. It'll support, you know. Well, they say the six-volt batteries are so much more robust than the 12-volt batteries. Yeah. I don't know why. The plates, well, the plates are actually thicker. So because you are generally dealing with something that's the same size mass, you're dealing with something that's the same size case. 
but you only need to have three cells. So when we've cut apart these old vintage motorcycle and vintage car batteries, it's always amazing when you look inside and see how thick those fucking plates are. Hmm. So the plates have more metal on them. You know, there, there's just more to them. And the whole idea is when you have sulfites jump the gap between plate one and plate two, that essentially deprives those plates from having that galvanic response and you lose your efficiency of the battery. It's not because the battery is worn out. It's because the sulfites that exist as a byproduct of this battery being discharged accumulate. Yeah, they accumulate in the bottom of the case. And so they go down to the bottom of the case and they fill up the bottom of the case and that causes these plates to short each other out and that's why you lose battery efficiency very quickly once a battery starts to go downhill it goes downhill fast and old batteries used to have a false bottom in them so you'd buy a battery and it would have this like grid built into the bottom of a car battery so that all the sulfites could fall down through the grid and essentially would it would ideally prevent them from coming up and hitting the other plates and sears and a couple of different companies that sold very expensive car batteries would like that's the technology they're swore by and i said well a grid doesn't get in the way of sand filling something up you know the grid is you know it's a false bottom but sure it's going to fill up too so all you're doing is you're carrying your yeah but it's, it's giving it a trap it's giving it a sump for more more sulfites to go down there before they come up and touch the and bottom the whole idea would be well if you just yeah. made your plates an inch shorter you'd achieve the same goal right so you know it doesn't matter right. it's gonna go up the level it is but then they'd have to they'd have to put a grid in there to stop the plates from moving too that's right I mean, that's exactly so. right so that's and, a big thing so if you see that batteries if you see a battery that's going out and it's not taking a charge again um especially if it's a lead acid battery which means it has the caps on top you can see fluid inside um if you see that happening you can do john's trick john's trick is great and then i always say i agitate it is a good thing to do is mm-hmm. once you've got the original electrolyte out of it and you fill it full of just clean tap water agitating it and if you can if you have oh, shake the shit out of it yeah, yeah well if, if you've got like a grinding wheel in your shop that's you know uh, put it on top of that if you want to grab something from your wife's bed stand and bring it out and just run the batteries down on it just just, just shake it just just or fill it and put it in your ultrasonic cleaner well if you have an ultrasonic that's what i do that's what i do is i fill it with water and i yeah. put it in the ultrasonic cleaner yeah. oh that's but i mean still it's it's still better to just buy a new battery. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Unless you're cheap. Well, and, well, and, and batteries are cheap. Yeah. But a big part of it is a lot of people don't understand that, you know, if, if it's Friday and you want to ride and yeah. you're like, well, I can't wait until the battery I need gets to me on Tuesday or Wednesday, or I can't wait to go get a battery. And I'm going to try to resurrect this battery I have here. Here's an interesting thing about batteries is the car manufacturer and the battery fact manufacturer, they care what size the battery is. Your bike doesn't care what size the battery is. So as long as there's enough amperage in that battery to start your starter, the battery from that point on is somewhat irrelevant as long as it's the right voltage. So not on my eight fifty, my blue. Not on your eight fifty, right. Yeah. That thing for some reason, we got stuck down at the Market Garden Brewery. My battery went from fine to completely dead. Yeah, and then so uh, his buddy Nick pulled um, uh, out of his mitt, like he pulled his battery out of his mitt, like nineteen eighty uh, CB seven fifty, whatever. Right, popped it in mine. It started right up. We unhooked it and it went nope. 
<laughs> that was it. It wouldn't run. It wouldn't rev. It didn't do anything. And that's that's freaking weird because 12 volts coming out with anything resembling a sustaining amperage, it shouldn't care what size case it's coming out of. Yeah. So if your bike needs, if your bike needs 85 watts to keep running or 95 watts to keep running, and you've got 12 volts behind it, it really shouldn't matter how many watts are available beyond that. But wait a second, wait a second. What did you? So you took your battery out, mm -hmm. you put a good battery in, and you started the bike. Right, and it was running fine. It's fine. Everything's good. And I tried to put, so we tried to, like, once it was running, we didn't take my old battery out yet, right? Okay. You just okay. jumpered it. So we kind of jumpered it and then okay. got it running and put it back on the old one, and it instantly died. It was yeah. like, yeah, see, that'll right. happen because, like, a lot of voltage regulators need a reference volt voltage right. or they won't charge at all. Exactly right. And so if there's zero in that, it just won't, it's not going to do anything. And that's yeah. another thing we were talking about. That's a lawyer thing. That's a safety thing. These, the designers who designed those voltage regulators said, if there's not a certain baseline of voltage here, then that what that could mean is the battery has broken. Right. Or that could mean that there's a dead short. And if there's the battery's broken or the, there's a dead short, we don't want to keep throwing energy at it. Right. So they'll just, the voltage regulator will clip. But like the Vespa, uh, Vespa had a bad battery. So I'd start it up and then get take the battery charger while it was running and hook it to the battery. And then that would make the lights and everything work and then leave that on for a second, then take it off. Yeah. And now it'll charge because it's all 12 volts and so it'll charge the battery. But to your point before, talking about how like the Walt or the, um, you know, the float chargers and stuff, they, they're kind of false readings. Right. That, that, that bike was on a float charger and it was at a solid green when I left the house that day. I drove 10 miles down the road and that battery was fucking dead, like dead. And so that's what. Was there any electrolyte in it though? Like maybe it was just really low on electrolyte. No, it looked fine. It was full. It was, it was all good. It was just dead. Like I think a plate, something broke inside the, but something had to happen. Was know. it a lead acid battery or was it an AGM? It was lead acid, right? Lead acid. So it's got the, the screws on top, the caps on the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah that's makes sense. AGM yeah. <clears throat> sealed at the top. That's an absorbed glass mat. So here's something that we have noticed among our customers. It happens all the time. Um, the guy swears, I had a green light on my battery tender. My bike started one time, and then I rode it to the store, and it wouldn't restart. Right. And what that is is the term that... The term that I'm using for it is phantom voltage, and that is that there's voltage enough to fool the battery tender, but there's not enough amperage behind it. Yeah. Right. It's the it's the gradual reduction in the capacity, the effective capacity of the battery. And and I've had experiences where a, a bad battery that I that I know is bad. Yeah, I'll throw it on the battery tender, see what happens, and it shows the green light deceptively quickly. Yeah. Like like <laughs> way faster than I know it should. Right. So. And so that's just a battery that has no capacity. Yeah. And that'll happen with us at work. You get a, a radio that won't come on. Mm -hmm. Well, you pull the power cord and you're getting 12 volts. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And you just start fucking around. And you're like, oh, oh, then it's like, wait a second. Cancer in the line. Right. You start looking for where the fucking line got corroded out under the hood yep. where you're getting 12 volts, but it's at no amps. You're right. It, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a, an amperage restrictor almost. Yeah, I just, I call it phantom voltage. It's my yeah. term, a term of art. It's phantom voltage and the voltage will be there briefly. You'll read 12.7 volts. Well, I call that too a surface charge where it's, it's charged to 12 volts, but it's, it's not. Yeah. 
And so then that's where another beautiful opportunity for that power supply we were talking about, that's 50 or $60 item. And you take that at that point, and that's an excellent diagnostic tool because you can put that where the battery used to be and you can turn up and down the amperage. So you can say, okay, well, at 13 volts and at, you know, 500 milliamps, everything's working great. Everything's kick ass. But then if I drop down to 100 milliamps, I lose all these things. So, okay, that tells us, well, where is the problem? What are we losing? Because then you might have a frayed wire or a a soft ground or something like that. So using that power supply, especially that gives you the ability to adjust the voltage and the amperage can really help you do some troubleshooting. Well, the analogy to that is a kinked, uh, a kinked water hose. Yeah. So you could have it, you turn it on full blast, and you have a kink in the hose. Well, the hose is hard, and it has a lot of pressure in it, which is right. your voltage. That's and then right. you open the end of the nozzle, and it spurts out, but then there's nothing there. It just trickles out. So that's your amperage. That's so right. So once you remove that kink, you have amperage and voltage because you have pressure and volume so the amperage is volume the voltage is pressure pressure yeah oh. it's it's very interesting and i found that that power that desktop power supply can be a wonderful tool for troubleshooting items and then also if you have some things off the bike like you're going to do bulbs or doing some like a light fixture or a horn or something like that um, rather than going and hooking something back into the bike again, you can very quickly hook it in, you know, get some banana plugs and get some little clips. Um, and you can test that item right there on the bench super easy before you go and install it on the bike or before you bury something in body work that later on doesn't work. So test it before you install it. And getting a little power supply like that, they work so much better than just getting another battery, you know, a battery that's going to sit on your workbench. That can kind of get the job done, but it's only as reliable as the battery on the bench, you know? A handy little thing to build yourself is any old good battery. If you get an old car battery, an old motorcycle battery, whatever. Then I want you to go out and they have, if you look at any old car, right. they have thermal breakers. Right. So it's like a 20 amp thermal breaker. It looks like, you know, it go it plugs right into where you'd normally put a blade fuse, right. but it's a little tin can looking thing. And what's inside there is a little element. Yep. So you're going to you're going to rig that in line with a set of jumper cables. So literally if you wanted, you could hook the jumper cables and it would go to each other. And in 2 seconds it'll break the circuit. Yep. So now you have that little thing hooked up and you can use that as your jump starter, your tester. You can put 12 volts to anything, and even if it's a dead short, it's not going to burn up. It's not going. You're not going to even have to change the fuse. It'll just get hot. Yep. You'll burn your finger if you touch it. But that's a handy little thing. Yeah. And that, my grandfather used to do that too. He would just put a 12 volt bulb in the line. Well, so that's a great way to you know keep from burning anything up. That's a current limiter. You know, like a five watt bulb, you can only put five watts of power through a five watt bulb. It is the cheapest way in the world to have a voltage regulator is by putting a a 30 watt bulb in line. You will never get more than 30 watts through that thing. So, you know, when the bulb blows out, you know that you've exceeded 30 watts. It's expensive in the long run, but it is stupid proof. You know, speaking of bulbs, can you buy an incandescent bulb anymore? Yeah, I'm sure you can. I can't find, I need a 15 watt appliance bulb because my lava lamp burned out. Oh, 15 <laughs> watts. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd be probably Home Depot, but I don't know if you can get an incandescent. Oh, yeah, I, put a, I put a 30 watt uh, 
LED in there. No. And it just, the, the, the lava just is like a big lump in there. Like a wad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got, oh, it's too efficient. Yeah. You need you need to generate some heat. I've got loads of them. You know those those strings of party, those strings of lights that you get at the Harbor Freight and whatever that have like okay. full size bulbs in them. Yeah, they all come from the manufacturer in China with five watt bulbs. Yeah, and a whole and bunch of extras. Yeah, take those five watt bulbs and pull them out and just get rid of them. And put LEDs in all of them. You know, I got those GE LED stick lights, and you stick those things in there, and now you got real illumination, and they're bulletproof. Like you can drop them in the shop a million times, and it doesn't hurt them. Our one neighbor must have fucking bought a chain of those lights and replaced the bulbs with something else. Yeah. It was hilarious. It's like the five watt bulbs are the right fucking like hazy, yeah. like warm glow. These fucking things, it was a whole string of those lights with like 50 watt fucking bulbs in them. It was like, holy fuck. It was like, he did it for like one day and then he like, oh, then he must have changed them out or something. It was like, because yeah, he melted the snow in the whole world. Yeah, they work really, I mean, they're pretty. It was hotter than the gasoline I was trying to throw in their fire. <laughs> I do, but I have them in my garage. I, I bought several strips of them and I've got them in the garage. And yeah, by replacing those terrible five watt and those, the glass in those bulbs is so fragile. Oh, so um, terrible. You can't look at them, but the, uh, by replacing them with the GE light sticks. And I don't know if you're familiar with the GE light sticks, but those things are amazing. You can throw them down the stairs and they won't break. To, to so, your point about that's, how that's pretty interesting. Those, um, like the, the new LEDs where they have those, the, the little strip it's not a chip it's like a little like a little tubule it's kind of weird yeah it's still a chip on board it's just a different shape of a chip you know yeah you were talking about how thin the harbor freight um glass is on those things yeah. so i have three strings of those in our backyard by our fire pit and it goes across my garage across to a tree and then this way on a fence line so it kind of gives us a nice warm glow around the fire area and you can see oh, yeah <laughs> A squirrel came running down the line, and as he was running, he kept hitting each light, and the light would just go <laughs> as he ran across the night. They're they're terrible, man. They really are. What a dick. They're terrible. Yeah, fucking. We better we better get a joke out of Chris Smith because he's fading fast. Yeah, yeah. We'll give him a chance to look one up. So we're gonna start talking about your Janus if you don't tell a joke. Yeah. <laughs> this is the product you guys are looking for. Oh yeah. Um. So these are sixty watt equivalent. Running at you know, running at nine watts. Nine watts, yeah. So there's virtually, I mean, these things are almost no draw. But what's cool about them is they are brighter than hell, and their their illumination portion is the same width as the socket. Nice. So they'll fit into virtually anything that will take any kind of a bulb. Hold those up again. Yeah, here. But why they're really why they're really really good is you can drop these. Like, so if you were using them in a trouble light or using them in a string of lights or something like that, you can smash this thing. I've stepped on them. I've kicked them, all kinds of stuff. They're crazy durable. So Do they for, internally light things or is that just uh, something different? What's that? Do they internally light things? Yes, they do. Uh, you, you took the words right out of my yeah. mouth. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. They'll, 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 there's some very bright light that they can shine inside of you and kill the coronavirus, and that's what he's talking about. Um, yeah. But I use them in my shop. You know, I use them in my workshop here at the house when I do the fluid film under the cars. So you know, I take those, I put the cars up on the lift, and then I run those out, and the amount of light you get is fantastic. Mm. But you can also, the fluid film can spray on them. It doesn't harm them. 
And obviously for 20 years, I was doing this using incandescent bulbs and I blow out 10 bulbs every time I would do it and smell all that burning, gross, whatever. (laughs) It's sheep. Liquid sheep. These things. Yeah. Good sheep. But those things are crazy and destructible. They're not. And and by the way, these things aren't, these things aren't expensive. These are cheap. I mean, these are, you know, a couple bucks a piece. Oh, right on. That's cool. So I I did some maintenance on my bike this uh, last week. Um, If you were going to do some maintenance, and the only way to describe it is, holy fuck, that smells bad. What do you think I did? Pork oil. Yeah. Pork oil. There's there's only two products that I will tell you that have that. The first is transmission oil, especially vintage Volkswagen or vintage BMW. Ah. If you've ever smelled vintage Volkswagen or vintage BMW transmission oil, I'm convinced it was the last reserves of whale oil that were ever found from the original casks of whale oil that were taken to, you know, pyramids in Egypt. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yes. These were the casks of whale oil that were keeping the lights on for the Bohemians. Right. (laughs) And they were finding that and they were putting that into the transmissions in Volkswagens and BMWs. And that shit is awful. Now, here's how awful it is. I took my 66 Volkswagen Beetles transmission apart one day in the backyard, as you do. And it was a bright, sunny day. And I had managed to get some of that shit on my hands. And I I gagged. I was going to puke instantly. And I couldn't get away from the smell. So I'd run in the house and I grabbed some DNL cleaner and put, you know, got DNL cleaner all over my hands and tried to kill the smell. And pretty much okay with it at that point. Vinegar, etc summer's eve whatever come out with hands that are reasonable now i go in the backyard and find out that my 130 pound rottweiler had licked the entire contents of the of the volkswagen transmission clean (laughs) every bit of that oil that grease in the transmission of a 1966 volkswagen that had never been opened up that dog ate it clean and survive with no issues or i'm sure oh, no 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 or something i'm gonna tell you the dog needed a new ass uh, for, <laughs> the only thing more vicious than the front end of this dog was the back end of this dog. and it took about 11 days just skin marks everywhere just slime just in the back <laughs> it was so bad and the night you know the night after he did it i mean everything was fine it was remarkable i did have to very carefully check the transmission though to make sure he didn't eat any springs if you've ever had a volkswagen beetle transmission apart there's springs there's ball bearings there's little tiny plates that are all dog size consumables and he didn't he just licked everything perfectly clean and i'm saying that that means there's like two and a half quarts of this substance in there and he ate it all so that night he seemed fine and i just thought he got away with it brought him in the house uh, i heard a i heard a idea. first mistake <laughs> yeah. no, big mistake shoot him in the backyard i had figured he'd already gotten rid of it because it, you know 11 hours later 12 hours later I heard a groaning. I went downstairs. He had nailed. I had this like bright silver gray carpet and he had gotten from the fireplace all the way to the door, about 14 feet. So he had about 14 feet of damage to the carpet. I got his leash on him. I took him out. And you guys know I live like I live right by the lake. Well, when I used to live in Willoughby, I had the same deal. I always lived by water and I walked the dog down to the lake and made him get in the lake. Right. <laughs> 
and forced him into the lake. And he loves water. That's great. So I forced him into the lake. He's not happy. He's miserable. And I'm basically taking handfuls of lake water and trying to shove it into his mouth and his asshole at the same time. And I'm just hoping that the water will meet in the middle and that we can get the dog totally squeezed out. It took... It took 10 to 11 days for him to not have explosive shit that smelled like hell. And I don't know what organ in his body was hanging on to this product because for 11 days, it just kept smelling the same way. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't shit anything larger than five weight for like... 10 to 11 days. I felt miserable for the dog. It's his own damn fault. His liver had to slowly produce enough bile to process all that. I spent spent the last six days washing the sweatshirt that I wore that day trying to get the fork oil smell out of my fucking sweatshirt. It's terrible. And I was haunted by it that night. I was trying to sleep and kind of what you're describing. I obviously had a little bit on my hands. I washed them like 37 times. And then I'd wake up in the middle of the night because my hand was near me. Yes. Like, oh, what the fuck is going on? My hand. Yeah. Rub your hands with aluminum foil. Like rub, take aluminum foil. No, seriously, if you do onions, yeah, you rub, you take aluminum foil and you rub your hand. You just like keep rubbing aluminum foil in your hands, and the onion smell goes away. Yeah, but yeah. that's acid. I don't think I don't think fork oil is acid. Well, I mean, I don't know, but it works. I mean, it works for the smell. So maybe it would work for the smell for fork oil. I mean, I'm not sure, but yeah, just shot. I don't know hypoid gear oil. stinks to me but you know that's that's a good point though because they um there's a kitchen product that it looks like a bar of soap but it's made out of stainless steel stainless steel where if you wash your hands with it obviously it's not soap but it it makes the smell go away so there might be something to that interesting yeah yeah it's it's really something so yeah you said fork oil and it's only old fork oil because i use all kinds of modern chemicals modern and they don't smell like that uh, it's 40 year old fork oil yeah. definitely 40 year old fork oil oh <laughs> they're changing it <laughs> oh i i had no idea i mean i've changed fork oil a couple times not recently but I, that was a startling discovery like, I, I, like they should come with a warning like of how bad that shit smells man it is fucking gross oh. well, the natural oil like like we had a, a accumulator system which is a air over uh, oil so you'd have a, a hydraulic. It's basically two two pumps that pump oil, and then a compressor that compresses a tank, and then it's half oil and half air, and that's how you move gates. Well, they didn't want to use regular oil in it, so they used like mineral oil, like a, a cooking oil. Okay, yeah. In the system because it's in a wastewater plant, and that stuff putrefies like within a month. It's yeah. It putrefies, and if you had a leak in the system, it's the worst smelling stuff. So, it makes sense that maybe they use some type of uh, like a natural oil instead of using a, a mineral, like a mineral oil. They used uh, natural oil instead that maintains its uh, you know viscosity and its, it, but it but it putrefies. I'm pretty sure that 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 Suzuki in 1980 used up ground up skunk assholes. To fucking make their fork oil is pretty much what I've come up with. <laughs> well, we yeah, see we we've used we used most of the skunk, but we just can't get rid of the skunk assholes. So what should we use those like, for? Hey, we, we'll take them all. We'll, take every we'll, we'll them. press them. We'll press them and extract the oil. Yes. <laughs> 
And there we go. It Wait, is, Mrs. As, Mrs. As, Smith is like a ghost in the background. Yeah, she just sneaks in. Oh my in. God, you're right. Just, <laughs> like, coming, coming out of her. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's back there. She's she's making a chicken salad for my sandwiches tomorrow. Yeah, but she looks like a halo, like your head. Hey, Mark, like, move, move in the picture a little bit. They think that you're inspector. a... Yeah. <laughs> It's basically like the the the, the Royal Enfield. Oh, and she just there she goes. <laughs> We're not really convinced she's real, but at this no. point, she's very most, most of the time she's not <laughs> unreal. So three rednecks. Oh boy. Oh boy. Are working up on the cell tower. That's yeah, Cooter, Ronnie, and Donnie. <laughs> Cooter. Cooter. As they start their descent, Cooter slips and falls off the tower and is killed instantly. Why is it always Cooter that has to die? <laughs> As the ambulance takes the body away, Ronnie says, well, shucks, someone should go tell his wife. Donnie says, okay, I'm pretty good at that sensitive stuff. I'll do it. <clears throat> Two hours later, he comes back carrying a case of Budweiser. Ronnie says, where'd you get the beer, Donnie? Cooter's wife gave it to me, Ronnie says. That's unbelievable. You told the lady your husband was dead and she gave you the beer? Well, not exactly, Donnie said. Hmm. When she answered the door, I said, you must be Cooter's widow. <laughs> he says, you must be mistaken. I'm not a widow. And I said, I'll bet you a case of Budweiser you are. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awful. Good one. Awesome. Rednecks, I tell you what. <laughs> So good, uh, good one. Know, good one. Yeah, that was a good one. You guys know that we have Patreon subscribers. Yes. What? Yes. What's that? Yeah. So yeah, we have these people that. Try well, I hope they're not going to ask pesky que uh, tech questions and bullshit. They do. Like they that. sometimes they sometimes ask very pesky tech questions. Is do they ask for jokes? <laughs> yeah, well, they always ask for jokes, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the first things I and sometimes they also have have fun stories so uh we absolutely we've got them all over the world right and so this is the cool thing is that uh we've got a guy that's in central pennsylvania and he's got one of those sym wolves right so you guys remember the sym wolf is a little I like those bike. yeah i like those bikes yeah and so he's got one of those and he's just like he's like he's going to ride this thing in the snow, man. Like he has made it his mission that no matter what happens, he is going to ride that bike. And that is all snow. Right. So, I mean, here you go. Oh, oh yeah. Pull the Mrs. Smith on us there, but yeah, so he's just all snow. Right. And he's going to ride that thing. So he, we was, you know, it's a, and it's a small tire. It's a really, really small tire. And uh, he just says, he goes, can't get hurt on a 150. game on perfect attitude for a 150 in the snow right and that's what he got right there sim wolf, wolf classic right so yeah a little little bike based on a honda cb 125s um real good sym motor quality color man that's cool yeah they're nice bikes and i sold them for a while they're a fun little bike and uh it, just like a cb 125s it's just a little bit more motor um i've ridden one of those from uh actually Merritt did we rode one of those from cleveland to detroit on a time trial on the freeway the whole way wow so it'll hold seven on the freeway go yeah oh yeah oh. 
Oh yeah! Wow, I was on an infield C five. Like, my anus won't do that. <laughs> hey, hey! I was on the. Uh, you haven't like, ridden my anus. <laughs> his anus would do it. I've, uh, I've fingered it though at, at the shop, so it's been all right. The uh, I rode the C five. She rode the um, Wolf one fifty, and we rode all the way up to past eight mile. And we rode past up to eight mile on one tank of gas. And it was funny because at that gas station, having left Cleveland and arrived at the same location, doing the exact same speed on two different bikes, we both needed the exact same amount of fuel. Wow. So the 500 CC and the 150 used exactly the same amount of fuel to go from Cleveland to Detroit. And that's because the 150 is working harder than the 500 is. You know? I say, yeah, you have two of everything and she had one of everything. Well, you know, the 500 is a single cylinder. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's there, like, there it is right, right behind me, right behind Chris. Oh, right, 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 right. So that's what it is. So, so, uh, so our podcast listener, he's like, all right. So I said, well, dude, that looks like fun. Just put some zip ties on zip ties on the tires and go. Right. <laughs> but this is, this is the most ghetto bad idea. But if you're ever out riding your scooter, your motorcycle, whatever, and you, left for work and a nice beautiful day but now it's not a nice beautiful day go raid the office supply cabinet and get yourself 50 or 60 zip ties and get yourself 50 or 60 zip ties yeah easy for me to say and and put them all the way around the the, the rim and the tire just fucking load them up man load them up you can do you no want, wrong you want the the pincher part on that the tread part of the tire, right? Like you want to lose. Doesn't it. matter. It doesn't does not matter. Like really? the crazy thing is, once you try this, you will think that having the little black, the little block, yeah. is really important to have that somewhere. Now it isn't. Really? What you're what you're really hoping to do is you're hoping to use the zip ties as a paddle wheel in the snow, hmm. and it's just the world's shittiest little tiny paddle wheel, right? But it is remarkably effective at getting you going. And, and if you have them on the front wheel, too, you can steer. And I've ridden in snow a lot. It is not as bad as you think it is. Um, but what is it call is, Uber? Yeah, call Uber. Yeah. So the zip tie trick is a lot of fun. And so he immediately writes back and says, dude, they, those things break when you hit blacktop. <laughs> you're not lying at <laughs> the point man I, was, I literally at, at one point i literally put chains on the back of my ct70 i took yeah. four lengths of chain put it through there put a little bolt and i used it to you know i was using it to pull sleds around the backyard yeah. it worked fucking great you it know great. like then i put a new wheel on it the other thing was if you're riding in the snow yeah. you want to stick like uh like a fat cat a fat tire thing sucks no. You don't want anything with fat tires. No. You want skinny little fucking knobbies so they go right down through the snow and get hard ground. And it's amazing. I, the one winter, I was pulling my buddy around on my CT90. He threw his skis on, and we had a whole fucking course through his backyard, including a jump. Like, I would fucking, and I was getting, like, second, sometimes jumping into third gear, fucking pulling him, and he was fucking skying it out over a jump. He was fucking... And the funny thing, it was pulling this. I had to put a foot down because when he would swing out, it would pull the bike sideways. And I'd just stay <laughs> on it and fucking. Rah. Why isn't that an Olympic sport? Fuck it, it is. I've actually seen. It like, is in Wisconsin. Yeah, they actually have fucking races where dudes are riding a bike. There's a guy hanging on with fucking skis, and they're fucking doing jumps and shit like that. That is. Yeah. Way I was just looking online. You know, they actually make stainless steel zip ties. Oh yeah, for exhaust center wrap and stuff like that. 
So I, I was telling our, I was telling our podcast listener, I was like, well, you know, one time I was stranded very far from home and I, the snow came on and I went into the hardware store and I bought um, a clothesline. So I bought a clothesline and I took the clothesline and I fed the clothesline all the way around my wheel. And there was enough clothesline that I did, uh, you know, I did a left wrap and then I did a right wrap. So I had kind of an X pattern on my tires. And uh, I was very was, proud was of this like a uh, like a stranded cable that was wrapped in like the rubber tube or no, like what was, was this clothesline an, it, material? It was just a polypropylene. Gotcha. Shitty rope, you know, rope. Like, uh, calling it a clothesline is probably giving it way too much credit. Um, it was recycled pop bottles, which, you know, we know that's a fantasy that doesn't exist, but it was just very skinny, shitty plastic rope. And uh, polypropylene line is probably the right way you'd want to describe it. And it's that kind of plasticky stuff that you see like holding buoys together at the swimming pool. Yep. You know? That real shiny plastic real rope. shiny shit. That's yeah, so real shiny horrible. plasticky shit. <laughs> and, uh, but it's cheap, right? Yep. And so I put this around and I put this around the other way so I had a nice X pattern going on the front tire and the back tire and I was very proud of myself and it worked very well. And uh, this is why I tell people to use zip ties and not rope because sooner or later the rope will break. Mm-hmm. And when the rope breaks, you now have 100 feet of problems. <laughs> and the nicest way I can possibly describe it is I was riding and I was very proud of myself. And I had systematically tested myself up to about 32 miles per hour. And it was pretty good snow. But I got up to about 32 miles an hour. And at about 32 miles an hour, at some point, I'd cut through that rope. And the rope had become um, my nemesis. Yeah. And that, that rope had gotten itself around my rear sprocket in about that long. And so it grabbed the chain and it grabbed the sprocket and it pulled itself in, which of course is like a amazing vice grip effect on the tire instantly. It had slammed me to the ground so hard that I had to walk a good distance back to where the bike was. And <laughs> the other thing that was crazy about it was there was so much power on that when it did that is it actually moved the entire axle on the swing arm so wow there was so much pressure there was so much power in that that it grabbed the axle and snagged it you know the slot adjusters the slot axles it had pulled the axle all the way forward so not only was not you know just getting the fucking rope out of it was a pain in the dick but also my sprocket was so far forward that my teeth on my front sprocket weren't even catching it you know, so I, I had this very loose chain on there. So I had to, I had to just regroup and pull tools out and, and adjust the chain tension correctly and everything. And then I took the rope and cause I was smarter then I took the rope and I cut the rope into small, like foot long sections and tied them individually like zip ties. But yeah. if you're going to do that, do many little ropes so that you don't have a hundred foot long rope that will literally fuck you over in a, in a heartbeat. So it's a safety tip. If you ever try that kind of cool self-extraction technique but you could use that like on a car if you can get a chain or something through the wheel and around the wheel yep. tie it off even one even one strand Absolutely. it'll go around and it'll go around up and then, you know what i mean it'll give you a little help and get yep. you out mine i mean this was fine with the rope around it with you know the the twine or whatever with that around it i could easily drive the bike 25 30 miles per hour it was it was holding on. It was giving me traction on otherwise normal street tires. But just remember, you will eventually wear through it. You will eventually break it. And when that happens, it's better to have a little six-inch piece of rope that just flies off than it is to have 100 feet of rope that's going to wrap around every damn thing. 
Now, if you're actually in snow and not having any pavement, because pavement would you'd get fucked up. But right. what about those metal, like uh, you know, like the three inch or four inch, um, you know, pipe clamp or whatever you call them, like. You know, like when you, you put your dryer hose on and oh, you, a worm clamp, a worm yeah, clamp, a worm clamp. What if you yeah, put you know, eight or ten of those on the fucking that that thing would rip yeah. in the fucking snow? I think you're probably yeah. right. That yeah. probably work. Yeah. What, what about rubber? The hill, the hill what about rubber bungee cords? Why not? I right. mean, because those would yeah. absorb the shack, and yeah. you could just hook them right on your spokes. It just has to be able to clear everything. You know what I mean? Right. Whatever, you, whatever you put around your tire has to be able to clear your swing arm. Your chain, your whatever, you know. Absolutely. So anybody around here, anybody here in the podcast, remember or know about a vehicle called a Yamaha Virago 250? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right? So what makes the Yamaha Virago 250 significant is of all the 250s that have ever been sold, um, I rescued one of these out of Chris's neighbor's garage one time. Uh, the, uh, the Yamaha Virago 250 is actually a V-twin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fucking cool yeah. uh so a 250 cc v twin that doesn't happen a whole lot there's there hasn't been an ec- extreme number of them i think honda tried a vtr 250 maybe um during the miami vice days and uh that thing had like an inboard disc brake that was real funky but the uh the virago 250 is kind of a, a weird beast but it hasn't changed much like the rebel that bike hasn't changed since 1988 um yeah, there you go. And I believe you can still go buy one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it sure yeah, is. This is a modern, yeah, look at the paint. Wow. Scene, it is exactly, they have not changed. So, uh, so yeah, that's a bike that has been available since 1988 and has not changed, right down to that cool little hexagon uh, fuel tap cover, right? Uh, that bike is oh yeah, this the thing. exact same bike that it, that it always has been. Is that like a just like a three quarter scale cruiser? It is. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly what it is. And they are they're very much like a rebel. But I do love them because I think that Yamaha V twin motor just delivers power just a little bit nicer than the rebel motor because V twins have a little bit of a torque to them. So one of our podcast listeners makes a mention. He's like, so I'm looking for uh, do you know anybody where I can get a replacement caliper? He's got a seized caliper front brake caliper on his 1989. So my brain immediately thought, well, look, that bike is clearly the exact same bike. It was in 1988. So get yourself to eBay and find a front brake caliper because clearly like the Honda rebel, everything's going to be the same going back to year of our Lord, 1988. Turns out I'm wrong. Yamaha, <laughs> Yamaha did something incredibly insane is on a bike that was introduced in 1988 and is still being sold today. And all these hojillions of years later, oh. they changed. They changed the orientation of the brake caliper. So the one brake caliper this bike has, which was originally on the left side of the bike. They moved it to the right side of the bike. I think the opposite. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah I think you're exactly right. So they, so they made an 89 to 93 was the first gen. So it's that's this, right. Hold on. So hold on right here. So yeah. it's this thing. So this is the 89 to, there we go. So this is the 89 right. to 93. Yeah, sure. And it has what? 
20.8 horsepower. There you go. High speed chain, the whole nine. He's a fire breathing. Yeah, fire breathing dragster. Yeah. 70 miles to the gallon, though. Oh, so. yeah. No, this is a, these are very, like, this is a no shame kind of bike right here. I mean, if you got to ride a 250, I think it's cooler to ride this than to ride a Rebel, I guess. Right. But so I'm they did change it. So I did, I was like, oh man, you know, that, so I, you know, I hate to give anybody bad advice. Cause of course I'm just like, See, they, they've been the same since the eighties, go fucking get one. And I did find that the brake caliper is $17 on eBay. So for <laughs> 17 bucks, you can get one that's proven tested good. Like ran when parked kind of shit. Yep. And to prove um, your point, hold man, on, here you go. You say ran. <laughs> the proof goes all ran. This is the newer one, and look at that. The yeah. brake is on the other fucking it's side. It's on the other side. Yeah. So, Switch. so this actually looks worse. The newer one looks older than the old. Look at those handlebars. I know. Yeah. It's a fucking train wreck right there, man. All so right. It's got those giant buck buckhorn handlebars. Look like you're an ACAC gunner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I so I gave him some bad advice, and I was like, well, they should be the same. It turns out they still are the same. They just flipped them upside down. <laughs> <laughs> so the calendar is exactly the same. They just flipped it upside down and put the gazinta oh, um, uh, uh, on top of the caliper instead of the bottom. I wonder what their reasoning for, for switching it to the other side was. I can't imagine. It had yeah. to be like, okay, well, the tree, you want to keep the brakes on the same side of the bike. Uh, I guess. I think it's the guy. I think it's the guy on the assembly line. They were like, okay, the guy on the right side of the bike's got too much stuff to do. He's got to put the exhaust on. So we're going to make the guy on the left side of the line do the, uh, the front or, caliper. For 20 years, Bart has been putting the brakes on the right hand side and he goes yes. to the boss and he's like, man, listen, dude, I need a change. Nothing's changed. He's like, Next week, we're going to take care of you. We got this. We're going to change your life next week. He's excited. He goes home. He tells his wife. He's like, dude, my whole life's changing. Yeah. The boss is happy. I've done a great job for 20 years. I I'm think I'm getting a promotion. Yeah. Things were right. new house. Everything's better. He walks in. They're like, Bart, everything's better for you. What's up? We moved the fucking brake caliper. <laughs> 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 because your left, your left forearm looked like Popeye. <laughs> yeah. I'm just doing the bolts on the left side. <laughs> so now we're going to even you out. <laughs> so that is funny. Uh, in all those years of, you know, the basic operation of the bike never really changed. Nope. But yeah, they did move the fucking caliper from the one side to the other. And all they did was they took the same caliper. They just drilled the hole in for the nipple on the other side. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yay. <laughs> they literally so, have, so wait a minute. It, since they drilled it differently, does yeah. the does the caliper work on the other side? <laughs> and so that's my that was my obvious link. So I looked at yeah. it and I was like, ninety percent of the casting is exactly the same. The mm -hmm. only thing that's not the same is the the receptacle. Right, know, right. Did they actually change the casting or did they have a plug in the bottom of the other one? No, no, it's they changed the casting. Okay. So yeah, that's that, that's they just they they altered the casting ever so slightly. But that was like also a three week meeting where they had to decide whether they wanted to spend the money on the casting yeah. for this. Bike. Or just plug it off. Yeah. <laughs> bleeder, the bleeder now comes out the bottom. Exactly. <laughs> and I was going to say too, for me, that would just mean running the hose from the master cylinder the other side of the handlebars and then putting the caliper on upside down. Right. Because everything yeah. would still work. Or or just get rid of Bart and bring in Cooter. Right. <laughs> well, he's dead, right? So he can't. Yeah, he can bring in his wife. He, he didn't make it. Cooter. Cooter did not make it. Who, who is also sad and beerless. 
All right. And so the very last tech, because like you said, everyone loves tech. Um, the very last tech that we have from a Patreon listener and that this one has some legit shit. He just got an old KLR 650. So he just got an older KLR 650. He's got a generation one KLR 650. My condolences. (laughs) (laughs) Did it have, did it have an actual dairy mart, um, milk container on the back or was depends it on, like depends on where you live they're regional oh yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it has the original gas in it <laughs> so, yeah so i mean i know that obviously i love klr 650s john mecklefresh loves klr 650s did you know did you know they made a diesel version yes we know yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank you nick <laughs> Never heard of it, Nick. No. Was that, no Nick. was that the red and blue one or the lime green one? Oh, <laughs> cock smoker. My God, man. Yeah. So the, our, one of our Patreon subscribers has got a good question. That is, um, he got this bike and he's just saying he, he wants to do the valves. So he wants to check the valves, right? And uh, he also is questioning doohickey, right? So the doohickey is the automatic timing cam chain advancer on the older KLRs. The last generation of KLRs had a different design for the doohickey. You do not need to do those. So if your KLR is, I think, a 2014 or newer, maybe, uh, the ones that have the sexy headlight, uh, if your headlight looks like a toaster, it is an old KLR. If your headlight looks aerodynamic, it is a new KLR. Mm. So your new aerodynamic headlight, those those do not need the doohickey, which is the timing cam chain advancer. They do not need to have that serviced. So here's the trick with the older ones. The first thing you ask about is valve adjustment. So yeah, those are shim and bucket, right? And they're fucking, they're as simple of a shim and bucket as you can get. They, they are the entry level of that design. Um, as opposed to being a nut and post adjuster where you can mechanically back the nut off and then mechanically move the valve, physically move the valve or the interference or the the location of the valve on the tappet, on the roller rocker, uh, on the rocker arm, you can, instead of all that beautiful, awesome self-maintenance kind of shit, they've decided to put some shims in. And the shims there interface between the tappet and the valve and that adjusts for how much space there is and you have different thicknesses of shims and that as your cam or as your cam follower wears out go ahead john i thought the shims so the shim over bucket the bucket right. pushes down on the valve it does the shim okay. sits in the bucket right the cam touches the shim and pushes right. the bucket down That's so the exactly interface right. is between the cam the yeah. shim and then the bucket yeah i was leaving the i was leaving the bucket out for simplicity but okay. the, uh, but yeah so there's a bu- the bucket serves a purpose too it keeps everything where it should be and the trick with this is everyone thinks that the shims wear out the shims do not wear out the shims don't wear at all. In fact, the shims are made of a much, much harder metal, so they don't wear out. Adamantium? Yes, they are. They're, they're, yes, and they're, uh, they are extraordinarily hard, and they will stay the measurement that they say they are forever. So, I mean, yes, I'm sure that somebody can say that they know of a shim that wasn't the size it was. But everything else in your valve train wears out. The shim doesn't. So... When you put the shims in and you measure the valve clearance, it will tell you to basically get the next size shim that will put you within the operational range of your valve train 
as per the manufacturer. And then you'll basically get on the horn to your Kawasaki dealer or get on the Amazonian and order in the correct thickness of shims that you need for your motorcycles four or eight or in this case two if it's a two valve motor you'll need the correct number of shims for that motor right so there'll always be you know or you might need not need any at all and that's exactly you might not need any at all yep all right if you take your if you check them yep and you're in spec you're good to go yeah, and the more of these you do, the more shims so you'll hopefully have. that is your situation. Right. Now, here's the problem with shims is not everybody's manufacturer decided on the same diameter of shims. So there are very, very fucking annoying little tiny shims that are about eight millimeters in diameter. And then there's big old cool, you know, pancake nipple size shims that are like quarters, you know, and different manufacturers will use different shims and they'll even use different shims in diameter over different years. And it's super annoying because why can't we just agree that shims are always going to be a certain diameter? I, I don't know. You could have one set of shims for all of your bikes and buying kits of shims is fucking expensive. So it's not a curiosity. Want? Yeah. My, I'd be curious to see if they use small shims for high revving bikes and large shims for low revving bikes. And I, I don't know if there's any, is there any uh, correlation between that? Yes, absolutely. And it does seem to be that older bikes used big shims and modern high, super high revy bikes use small shims. For inertia? No, because they managed to make the motor smaller and smaller and smaller. Oh, so they I was going to say that the bigger the shim, the heavier it is, the more right. inertia. Yep. So if you had a high revving bike, you'd want low inertia on those yeah. shims. But I mean, yeah. I don't, I mean, so if you're trying to be like super prepared and buy a set of shims, don't do that. Do your measurement first. I know it's inconvenient to have the bike apart for as much time as it takes to order the shims in, but get the bike motor apart, measure yourself out, figure out what size shims you need based on the shims you have. You may only need to order in one or two and then order those in or talk to somebody on a forum and maybe you can find somebody that's done their bike before and you could say hey look you know do you have this size or within this one or two number range will work for you theoretically you should never have to order thicker shims correct you should always have to order thinner shims right so if you've done your measurements and there's a little bit of calculation and everything Mm -hmm. and you're coming up with thicker shims you might want to double check your work yeah you definitely want to double check your work you should never come up with thicker shims and then the second thing is don't ever think that you can grind your shims or make your shims thinner you can't i mean they're hardened and i don't recommend it at all whatever they're really small. They're real pesky. Um, I think that whatever you attempted to machine them with, you would end up altering them beyond where you would want them to be for accuracy. But you might get the hardest out of them, too. Yep. If you right. machine them and got them hot. Yep. Why I would you? Remember people have talked about you can flip your shims over, but that's, gonna, that's usually going to make things worse because you're usually going to lose clearance. And, you know, if they wore, which they don't wear, Right. Flipping them over does it should should really do nothing. Right. But if it would if if they were actually worn on one side of the shim, yep. flipping it over would only make it worse. You know what I mean? It right. doesn't. It's just not. Why, how it why would you only need thicker shims? You would never need thicker yeah. shims. You, you don't should usually thinner. need thinner shims. Oh, I thought a because second ago, like Phil said, the shim doesn't really wear. Right. What it does wear is your valve seat. Right. So the valve will push up, and you'll lose clearance. It'll tighten right. up. 
And the so only you should time have to order a thinner shim. And the only time you would ever need thicker shims would be like if you've rebuilt the top end two or three times, you've, you've done adjustments two or three times, and now you're replacing the cam. So right, or if you're replacing valves or the cam exactly or something right. like that, then all bets are off. Right. But for maintenance, but you should keep your old shims. But What's if that? you kept all your old shims, you'd be fine. That's right. So it is best to buy the shims, only the shims you need, because it will shock you when you see how expensive they are to buy a kit or a range of shims. So yeah, it is a strange thing that, you know, it's, it's the one part of motorcycle maintenance that isn't just normal. Um, they, they asked, you know, is this the kind of thing, you know, can I do my own shims? Can I, can I make that happen? Absolutely. And in fact, it's one of the best things you can do on a single cylinder motorcycle to get to know your motor. I mean, it's like, it's a rite of passage. You can certainly at least check them yourself. It doesn't take too much usually to remove the seat, take the gas tank off, get your valve cover off. Yep. And stick a feeler gauge in there and see what your clearance is. You're going to you learn good at that point. Yeah, my door. You're going to learn about your bike. You're going to learn about timing. You're going to learn about your, you know, your timing cam chain. You're going to learn about all kinds of things in your bike in the process of adjusting your valves. So that's a great thing. And if your motorcycle has gone more than you know eight thousand or ten thousand miles, you probably do need to make an adjustment. So um, you probably at least need to check them. For sure. Does and the KL? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to ask if the KLR had the shim over the bucket, like you can access it without removing the bucket. Yes. Okay. So gotcha. I, I believe those are shim over bucket, right, John? I don't know. I haven't done a KLR six. I think that I think the shim sits on top. Of the if bucket. it's over top, I think we can thank our friends at Fiat for that innovation. Yes. That is right. That is exactly right. That's a Fiat. My innovation. bike only has four thousand miles on it, so yeah. you're, not, you're not nowhere close. With yeah. it. So, and the last thing so is how many miles uh, your guys' Fiat had when they blew up. <laughs> <laughs> So well, the, uh, the other thing about the shims too is they make a tool which is made to so it's a tool that goes in there and it's made to push the bucket down so that you can pull the shim out and replace the shim how right. necessary is that i don't know you can get them out without without do using the tool it's just hair sure. here yeah so, and that's and they do make they make valve shim tools uh you know that klr when i'm thinking when i visualize it it is definitely it's definitely shim over bucket and there there are many different types of tools but just be careful of this the the <laughs> valve compressor tool that you're going to see that's uh sold for like briggs and stratton motors or v8 cars that really doesn't work great on motorcycles unless you have a uh a tap it adjuster a, a nut and post for it to grab onto, right? So it's going to be more difficult. I do recommend if you're going to do the job more than once that you definitely invest in the manufacturer's tool for your bike to hold it in position. Triumph has their own tool. It's very handy. Ducati certainly has their own. Um, we got a bunch of them at the shop for different companies. But having the correct tool or being able to find a picture of it and maybe make one yourself, pretty easy to do. Um, they're all basically designed to do the same thing, and that is just take the pressure off of the valve, the spring-loaded valve, and take the pressure off of that so you can get that little puck, that little hockey puck, out of there. And that's the idea behind it. So uh -huh. the, uh, yeah, so on uh -huh. the K yeah, KLR 650 is shim over bucket, so it's, it's real easy. 
And if you never want to deal with um, adjusting your valves, buy a PC-800 or a Goldwing because they have hydraulic valve lifters. Yeah, and, and there are a couple. So, you know, Harley-Davidson's, uh, big Harley-Davidson's have hydraulic valve adjusters. Uh, there's a lot of motorcycles that have used hydraulic valve adjusters in the history of America, in the history of bikes available in America. And yeah, you'll never have to adjust them. It's pretty mm-hmm. freaking cool. The Kawasaki, uh, that's Motion Pro. Yeah. That's eight ninety nine for that little toolkit for the various yeah. tools right. that you would use to. But here's the thing: there's so many freaking like like especially with a KLR because KLR right. is like a hugely popular bike. Yep. Just look it up if you're going to do this. Yeah. Like right here, like in two seconds, I found valve yep. check and adjustment procedure, and this dude wrote out everything, every bolt, <laughs> everything all the way to, all the way to turn the petcock off. Yeah, all <laughs> the way down. He's telling you how to remove every hose, everything, yeah. what you need to do. He gets yeah. down, and just as John was saying, here you go. This is what yeah. you're looking for. There's the shim and the bucket, the whole nine, yeah. all the way down. I mean, this is out there. This is what the yep. so internet sucks ninety percent of the time, but that ten uh, percent. Uh, Google's your friend. Right. It is. Google is your friend. Yeah. And here's what I'll tell you is if you think you're going to be smart and you think you're going to go ahead and get the Kawasaki shop manual to do that job, I'm going to tell you that step one in the Kawasaki shop manual is remove valve cover. Right. Okay. It but doesn't mention before that. anything about the hoses. It doesn't mention anything about the coolant or the radiators or anything. The plastic or the gas tank. Or it the just speaker. starts with remove valve cover. Right. Shop manuals assume that you are already a certified mechanic. And so they're going to leave off all the other shit just to make the book as thin as they can. Well, and that thing with the internet, the way it is, unless you, and actually with China, China riders dot whatever it is now, you can find that too. But pretty much every bike has a loyal following somewhere. And if you can find that forum, somebody has pinned stuck to the top in the maintenance section, all the basic shit you need to do to the bike. And they like, and most of the time it really is almost better than most of the Hayes manuals or anything else you can get. Cause guys are like, they know like what you need to take off. They're like, Hey, here's the gas tank. Here's this hose. Here's that, this and that. Unless you ride an Aprilia man. And if you ride an Aprilia Manny, you're fucked. Right. Yeah. That's just one of those ones that everybody buys an Aprilia Mana. And then the first time they need to do anything on the Aprilia Mana, they realize that mechanics are like allergic to that bike. And they're just like, well, I've got a question. How do I change this? Or how do I adjust my, like replace a belt on the Aprilia Mana? And it's fucking crickets. Like you ever want to see ADV rider shut down? Just be like, somebody on here, tell me how to replace the belt in the CVT on my Aprilia Mana. What year was this bike made? What's that? The Aprilia Mana, because it looks exactly like one of the new um, um, Benelli bikes that you guys have. Look at no, this. the Aprilia Mana. I mean, the Aprilia Mana was like what 2014. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. yeah. They're they're fairly modern. Uh, that's cool looking bike. It's a brilliant bike. It's a fantastic bike, except for the fact that the transmission is very confusing, and that 850 V twin motor that's in there is a honey. I mean, you can't get a much more enjoyable 850 V twin than in that Mana. The downside was it's an automatic transmission, a CVT-based transmission, but it also has gears. So it also has electronic servo-operated ranges. Oh, it's like shift points. Fuck, like, yeah. yeah. So every time you replace a belt on one of those, like every 10,000 miles you replace a belt, there is a sensor on there that tells you about belt wear. And if you replace the belt, but you don't take the sensor out, the sensor that's built into the side of the bike, take the sensor out, throw it away, spend 50 bucks, buy another sensor, put a new sensor on, 
Now, when you put your bike back together again, it won't just have the permanent warning light on telling you that you can't ride the bike because you need a new belt. It turns out that sensor works one time. That sensor works from new to being worn out. And then you throw it away and you buy a new one and it works from new to being worn out, which isn't part of the design. The service manual does not say that every time you replace a belt, you have to replace that sensor. But guys who work on them and know that the bike comes in and we put new variators in it, we put new belts in it, and then the customer takes it out on the road and he comes back, he's like, you motherfucker, the fucking belt light's still on. Then you realize you got to take half the job apart again, take everything apart just like you're replacing the belt again, take that fucking sensor out, throw it away, put a new sensor in. So that's why Aprilia Man is a great bike for shutting down a really knowledgeable forum. Um, you'll find <laughs> the, the three guys on that forum that have worked on those bikes um, real quick, but it sorts out the bullshit. It's not a battery, like, what oil should I use type argument. Um, if I can ask you guys, of all the bike manufacturers, what manufacturer do you think is always on point with um, predicting trends and, and actually bringing products to market that are preceding trends that are happening, especially with the other markets? Honda. They're 20 years early to everything. Right. So Honda. <laughs> five years late then. And then five years late. <laughs> yeah. but, but Honda being Honda and, right. and really understanding markets. All right. Uh, in the recent years, they've hit us with a flurry of awesome mini bikes, the Grom, yeah. the yep. Monkey, the Cubs. Absolutely. And then they, they said, you know, all these dudes that liked these when they were kids and couldn't afford them are now 50 and yep. they all want to buy this shit. And uh, we see this thing. And so they, they, they went full balls into it and they produced this stuff and they sold obviously really well. And we're all still waiting for new stuff to come. We all want the Hunter Cub and everything else. Yeah. So that being said, when I say Meekum Auctions, what do you all think of? Hold on, I have to go get my wallet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Go no, get your wallet. When you guys hear Meekum Auctions, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Big cars, big money, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. One million dollar ridiculous mint original Camaro SS. Yeah, yeah. And, well, cars and, that. and all those guys that you know they have all their TV shows and they take their cars and sell them for a hundred thousand bucks at Meekum or whatever. Mm -hmm. it's a big deal. So <laughs> to show how on point Honda was, how ridiculously on point Honda was, and how on point they predicted the market, this came up today, and this is Meekum Auctions. They have an auction coming up, and they have a section called Best of Show, and it is the Best of Show mini bike collection, and this is at Meekum coming up right now. Check this out. It's all fucking Honda mini bikes. All the way down. I mean, this is all like, and they all have like nut to bolt restoration or all the way down here, one kilometer, one kilometer, concourse restoration. And there's shit that I've never seen before, like this thing. Ooh, that little chrome ones. Yeah, the Tokyo edition. No, this is the, this is the gold Tokyo or what is it called? The Honda Gold United oh, Edition. Gold United Edition, yep. Look at this thing. That's. I've never seen this before in my life. Oh, but, wow. But look at that, one kilometer. So just I'll bring you guys in a little bit. I'll circle you guys in on a lot of these a lot of these things. So I've got a boner in, right now. You should. So in the early 80s, Honda did these tribute bikes. They did these really kooky um, and they were basically jewelry. OK, and they weren't meant to be sold to the general public. They were meant to be sold at certain select Honda dealers oh. anyway. 
And this is the thing where if you look at there's a, there's a Goldwing logo on the side of that bike. If you look on the air cleaner, there's the original shield that would have appeared on the original Goldwings um, on the air cleaner. So there's this, you know, the old school Honda Crest. See the limited? Yeah. LTD. Yep, LTD. That's it. So these bikes were done as extremely exclusive. Um, they weren't dealer specials. They're factory specials. But they went, they only went to certain dealerships. And, and in Japan, oh, there are certain editions of cars that are meant only for certain dealerships. You got to be like a Nissan Cherry dealership. You got to be like a certain level of dealer to get these certain exclusive products. This level of fucking bike looks like it never made it out of the factory. Mm. Some asshole that worked for yeah. Honda right. fucking scooped it. it has, look at this, it has a fucking little plastic sleeve over yes. the brake pedal. <laughs> yeah, it's got the rubber cover on the brake pedal. Yeah, I mean, this is a zero-mile bike. This is a bike that literally just came out of its crate, and either somebody bought it when it was still in the crate for their collection, but if you look these up, these little jewel bikes, these precious bikes... These things were astronomically expensive. I want to call that one the brass monkey, even though it's gold. <laughs> I would totally do a brass monkey. Close enough. It's yeah. beautiful. Oh, look. Yeah, that is good, man. Holy shit. That is awesome. Yeah. but So these things were crazy expensive uh, compared to look any other the normal. Look the fender, man. Look at yep. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a little rubber guy on the thing, too. Yeah. So, I mean, these are brand new bikes. I will be very curious to see what they sold for. They were Japanese domestic market. None of these were imported to the U.S. Um, that was a pure, that was just a Japan thing. So, Look at yeah, this. super cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, the nice these, thing is a bunch of them are no reserve. So, yeah, so that's nice. You know, the you can you can play around with it. Yeah, the market's going to scoop it up for ninety nine cents. Yeah, there's there there's no there's no ceiling to it. Well, you know, so do you, I don't know if you guys are very familiar with Mecham, but so the way they do their auctions, there's a pretty significant buyer's fee. Uh -huh. So the seller's fee to get it in is is pretty pretty pricey on the front end. It's pretty impressive um, to get the bike in. Well, this one then that's dirt. I don't know. Yeah, that. the buyer's fees that's, on these things. It's a QA fifty. Very high. Yep. So when you do, when you think about buying something like this, you're like, oh, I can buy that for $5,000. Keep in mind that you may actually have to pay $6,000 to get it off their property. Like the Trump tax on my truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, they have that one. I, that one, the Bronco. That the is Bronco. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Look you got how it. cool. How how did they have so much better style back then? Like seriously, look at this fucking thing. That Wait, thing is that a shelf? What's up with all that wasted space? Shelf. It's a place. A shelf. Bag. Yeah, you can put your rucksack in there. Ah. Your balls when you were fucking a man and rode this thing. Dude. Yep, you there you go. Down there. Yeah. So that. That's yeah. That's the Bronco. Look but at that so motor. Look at that. That's awesome. It's like <laughs> it's, it's just flat. It's all you need. It's like there it is. That's the motor. Fuck you. Well, I mean, that's basically your layout of a Minarelli uh, 70cc moped motor, like a 70cc yeah. moped motor with a 70cc top end kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, that was pretty commonplace. That was real popular in the 60s and 70s. So, yeah, that's... that's all right, everybody everybody here has one bike that they can get. Which one do you get? Oh, my God, that's terrible. Oh, I'm all over. I want the Brass Monkey fucking yeah. 100%. Right. Brass Monkey's uh, gone. I like that, that SL100. Yeah. Oh, at the yeah. top up here? 
that uh, there's that a guy one. down in Texas called Marbles Motor Nick, and that's all he does is restore those little SL 100s and yeah. 70s. He's got all the paint and everything like that. It's his. That's his life. Jeez. Well, I can't afford it. I think I'd like the Rupp because it wasn't that made in Ohio. Rupps are made in Ohio. Yeah. 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 I already have an SL70. Mm-hmm. I have a CL70. I like the, uh, the SL70. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Uh, that original 1968 silver tag <coughs> 50. That silver oh, tag. Oh, that's 50. beautiful. Oh, yeah. It is really that's nice. A beautiful bike. Look at that thing, man. Mm hmm. Oh, SL seventies. Yeah. All the SLs are sexy though. Every SL, yeah. especially like the SL three fifty and all that stuff. Right. They're just gorgeous, you know. And so uh, what's your take on it? What's 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 your bike? Oh, keep scrolling down. It's the silver, the red bike on the left there. It's the nineteen sixty nine Silver Tag K one. Oh yeah. I just think it's. I just think they're super cool. And realistically, this thing's going to get ridden at Mid Ohio and then sit on my shelf. So I would either do this or I'd do the Tokyo Drift Edition. Is this normal? That's the way it came from the factory with wire yeah, hanging on it. That's a perfect. That's that's a perfect. That's yeah. the selenium regulator rectifier. That re- orange thing. Rectum fryer. Yeah, <laughs> <rectum> fryer. <laughs> that's it. But yeah, that's what it is. And not joking around. Like those bikes sell for ridiculous money. But like that Tokyo, that Chrome edition, and that Gold edition, you'll you'll never see those. You know, so yeah, that's like how, how many like in your out of all of us here, you probably have the most knowledge. How many do you think of each of these were made? I have Five. no idea, but I would I would venture to say because it is Honda and it's the early 80s. I'd say they probably did something like 200 of them or 250 of them. Wow. And then no such thing as a rare Honda. There's no such thing as a rare True. Honda. Except so, for these two. <laughs> I think wow. that in those, in that world, but it'll be, it's easy to look up. So I'll look it up real quick and right. we'll find out how many of those they actually built. Because I really do think that, um, I, I really think it's going to be super low numbers. So this one's, uh, since, since you got to follow this, then I give us the, give, give us the answer as to what they sell for. Oh, I will. I definitely will. And it's going to be, this is going to be definitely shared around because like every dude with a trail 70 right now in his basement's like, Oh my God, what is this thing selling for? Ah, mm-hmm. I could go to Meekum next year and make $25 million on my fucking rusted Serial yeah. 70. I know what I have. Yeah. Look at this one. This one's unrestored. It has a little bit of rust, like, but it's still man. I mean, but you can tell it's been ridden. Where's the rust? The paint has been worn off the foot pegs. Look at there's. Oh uh, yeah, I see. There's some, you know, the foot. Oh, here you go. Look at right here. Right. What is that? Look at that. Ooh. Just throw it away. Look at the foot pegs. But you guys oh. wanted to know they did oh, the I gold did. edition twice. They did the gold edition in 1984, and they did it again in 1996. Ah. Obviously, it was much higher spec than U.S. versions with the lights, the signals, the speedometer, etc. It's a four-speed, so it is a clutch-operated four-speed, which is very desirable. Um, there were five thousand made, so oh. yeah, oh. That's, that's better for John. There is no Jeez. such thing as a rare Honda, so the uh, five thousand of the bikes were were made, and so you either had your choice of an eighty-four or a ninety-six if you wanted the Gold Monkey. Not the you brass want, monkey, the gold monkey. I just want whoever designed this seat to make motor motor every motorcycle seat in the history of the entire world. That's what I want. It, just, they, what it looks to me is like it looks like they had leftover seats from the Honda CB500T, the world's worst motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and they slapped them on. Sorry, the world's worst Honda. The uh, 
There's plenty of worse motorcycles, but there are no worse Hondas. We should we should take bets on this one, but the golden yeah. one. Mm-hmm. How much do you think it'll go for? Ooh, yeah, that's a good. That, that is a good. That is a very very good question. All right, let me pull this up, and we're gonna leave it right here. Look at that thing. All right. Yep. All right. Okay. Let's start at the top. Who's who's the first? Phil. What do you think? Oh shit, man! I'm gonna say eleven grand. Wow. Should we write this down? Can somebody write this down? All right. I'll write it. All right. You're so write it down. in at 11. I'm going to say 11 grand. All right. Let's go to Hoff. Hoff, what do you think? 21,000. 21,000. Because the money is cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the people who are going to buy stuff like this and on Mika, yeah. Yeah. The crap they sell for, I mean, they sell a bunch of crap for, for so much money. It's. Yeah. And they sell a lot of good stuff too, but the crap. Oh yeah, I just uh, bought that. I just bought that hundred and fifty thousand dollar pickup. Wouldn't it look cool to have that fucking mini bike in the back? Yep. Yeah, I'm gonna grab that too. Yep. All right, Dan, what do you think? How much? I was thinking way lower, like eight thousand. All right, Dan's in at eight. Smith, what do you got? I'm going uh, sixty two hundred. Sixty two hundred. Dude, I'll fucking buy it for sixty two hundred. It's yours. It's yours. But I, but I got a, I, I got a seller's premium of another sixty two hundred. <laughs> so Mac, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I really. It's just. It's so different. There's just no way to even tell. I would hope it sells for good money, but I can't see it going for like a hundred thousand dollars. There's no way. Right. No, but play the game. You got to lock something in. What are you locking in? I bet $21,001. Oh, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm going with 1250. 12,050. Yeah. I'm lighting All you right. up. I'm lighting you up on Saturday, Michael Fresh. <laughs> I'm I'm going I'm going in at at 14,000. So we've got Phil with 11,000, Hoff with 21,000, Mac with 20,001, uh Cinch with 12,500, Dan with 8,000. And Smith was sixty two hundred. Okay, so right, we're following up with this, we are going to follow up. Yeah, yep. but I'm going to I'm going to throw a wrench Man, in. I want, I want to see the other SL seventy. You're going to see me out there at Meacham. I'm going to bid it up. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, the, the red one with yellow. Yeah. Oh, that's a yeah, seventy. That so Look at that, yeah. buddy. Dude, graphic, SL70. What a graphic great were better than shapes were better than everything was better than man. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, simpler. Look at that. Yeah, well, if you think Honda looks cool, look at the the uh, uh, Hadakas, the Combat Wombat, and some yeah. of those Hadakas are just fucking cool. They're just super cool. Yeah. Look at the detail. Well, you know, I'm thinking that's probably the the cylinder kit that's on my S65. Mm. Yeah. It says it's 72 cc. 72 cc. Um, that would be the right. I need stuff. to look at that carburetor because that bike needs a bigger carburetor. I think it's starving for fuel at high reps. So, would you guys like to know what the gold monkey sold for oh boy. at Bonham's auction house exactly one month ago? Oh, yeah. No. So not this. Not this particular bike. Did it another have another one? Did it have one kilometer? I do not know. Uh, I'm okay. looking. I'm looking. Um, but anyway, so I'm. I am trying to read through it right now. But it was a 1984, and it was a Honda Z50J Gold Limited Edition Monkey, right? right? So it's. We know it's the right thing. Okay. Yep. And 
it sold for the U.S. dollar equivalent of $3,913. What? What? Who's the winner? Who's the winner? Come on. Chris, you're the winner. I will read you this line, though. This stunning and rare Z50J Gold Limited Edition is described by the vendor as in fair condition uh, with some modifications. A great Christmas present for the kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not this like, bike. No, not, not this bike. One kilometer stored yeah. in a fucking vacuum chamber for 50 fucking years. Yeah, this bike is fucking pristine. So, they, I, interestingly enough, this is a bike that does have an odometer. I believe, I believe it has a speedometer, but it does not have the uh, miles listed. So anyway. So what, do you think um, if you had to pick which one was going to go higher, would it be the Tokyo edition silver chrome monkey or the uh, gold edition uh, United edition monkey? I don't. That's a really good question, too. Because I would actually say the silver one. I actually the silver one's more appealing. I think that's actually a cooler bike. Right, but the gold to me, I just like I. I already found. I already got the name. It's the Brass Monkey. I just want to call oh, it. Oh, sure. Monkey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The uh, I, I I completely agree. I would I would rather have the gold one, as silly as it is, and as blingy and ridiculous as it is. I would much rather have that. The uh, so the silver one. Oh my God, guys! Oh, you're gonna love this. Um, so the Tokyo Limited. The Tokyo Limited, they did the gold and the silver, so they don't really specify. I, I have yet to see what the run is of how many they did of those. But for you guys who are curious, there's a 50th anniversary special of a monkey that they did in 2017. So in 2017, they did the actual celebrated, the real 50th anniversary of the monkey bike. And they did only make 500 of them. So it is a super crazy uh, rare deal. And uh, so those so are based the, off of the new monkey or the old monkey? Old monkey. It's got to be old. Yeah. yeah. So 2017, it's an old monkey. And uh, it's an old 50cc monkey, sure enough. And uh, yeah, super cool, super neat looking. And it's to celebrate the Z, you know, the Z50 that came out in 1967. So badass. Well done, Honda. And uh, so that's that's super cool. Nice. That's the 50th anniversary because the original ones were red and white. And then they also had them. They had them in silver. They had them in red and they had them in black. So look at this. Look at this seat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, if you want to have a little bit of a boner, type in monkey. Kuma Mom, and that's K-U-M-A-M-O-N. Wait, K-U-N-A-M-O-N? K-U-M as in magpie, A-magpie-O-N. K-U-M-A-M-O-N. Monkey Kuma Mom. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> Kuma Mom is this character that you guys may recognize. So oh, yeah. they, uh, he's a mascot uh, for the Kumamoto Prefecture. So he's like, you know, these cities in Japan have mascots. And every city, every county, whatever, has a mascot. And so this is the mascot for the Kumamoto uh, city. And they did a special edition and all this stuff. So there's all this media that exists. Oh. The Japanese love this shit. And this bike is blacked out, red seat, red rims. It's super cool looking. But there's also all this really cool stuff with, you know, their, their, their little 
uh, Kumamoto Bear, which is their their icon of their city, and uh, awesome, just super cool. <laughs> that kooky, weird Japanese stuff, you will love this bike. Yeah. So yeah, and there's actually pictures of the bear riding it. So the uh, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool thing. Yeah. So I just love that they did these special editions. They're super cool. So, but so yeah, what did the silver LTD go for? Yeah, I don't. That silver, the silver limited. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what the pricing was. I have no idea. But that silver one's just gorgeous. Yeah. So that you know, it's a satin color silver on the gas tank. If you were gonna just nerd out on Z50s, I could see it becoming an addiction. You could, like come into my house and I just have Z50s on the wall like pint glasses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I find is interesting. It's like when you see a celebrity or some kind of a guy with a lot of money. Yeah. And instead of collecting like douche mobiles or something, they really right. get into some weird fucking weird fetishy fucking mechanical thing, you know, yes. and then they have 50 of them. They try to preserve them. They'll yes. find like the one Russian scooter that was, you know, sent to Cambodia to save fucking people. And there's 72 of them. And make them fucking perfect. I'm like, yeah, man, that's cool. Like, I, I, I could see Bill Murray doing that. Like Bill right. Murray would be a guy that does something like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and that's the kind of thing. It's like, if you're going to have stupid money, yeah. Do it's, stupid things. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's better to do. It's better to have a collection of, you know, 25 monkey bikes that you can just wheel out and have fun with. Yeah. The, uh, again, unfortunately, we don't live in mid-Ohio, so they're... <laughs> we can make our own at this point right yeah. well you know i i was looking online at bikes out in arizona and in california mm -hmm. and, and there's just very little vintage available in the no, phoenix really area isn't. right just like almost nothing there's a lot of stuff in california mm -hmm. but you're gonna pay for it too most of those guys are like hey i added a new motor bolt it's custom now it's 10 grand you're like well, right. In, I have friends in Phoenix, which is why I'm looking. I'm looking for a bike to actually keep in Phoenix. Right. I, I know where we could have a really nice scooter rally. No problem. I'm thinking oh, easily, yeah. probably forty or fifty camping spots. Yeah, we talked about this last weekend. This is going to be awesome. We're doing our own thing, man. Well, you know. With, I think that's a good idea. With a barn burning in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if he kicks, if he kicks, if if Hoff kicks the guy that's gonna buy his other house out of his other house, yeah, then we have not only Bandcamp, we have you've graduated Bandcamp and moved on to fucking college camp. I don't even know what to call it. Call it something. <laughs> it's gonna be fucking dumb. We're talking a full scooter off road course yeah. around multiple areas, a river, yeah. a river. Fire. It's gonna be Van Camp. Yeah. Van camp, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think It'll it's a great idea. And I'm not joking to anybody. I talk to everybody. The way I'm feeling is like, okay, I'm getting to the stress point at this point. We're like, okay, whether or not we've achieved greatness with the vaccine, whether or not we're, you know, healed, whether or not we've achieved herd immunity, I'm. I'm willing to say at this point that maybe by October, I'll be so screwed in the head. I'll be like a take your chances rally. That'll yeah. just be like, okay, this is the deal. You are responsible for not being an asshole. You're responsible for maintaining 12 feet of social distance constantly. No, it's easy. All you have to do is by then, by, by the middle of summer, tests will be fairly affordable. We need a negative test two days before the event to show right. to come in. That's it. Right. That's all you have to do. 
They're doing that now. They're starting to open restaurants and do all this other shit with. If you can show up with a two day fucking like in New York and other places, like, yeah. And even at the um the big brown or not the Browns, but whatever, some football fucking team somewhere, whatever. Right. They're doing a thing where you have to go to their testing thing, get tested within two days of the event. If right. you're negative, you're allowed to come. Boom, right. you're in. Yeah. It's it's going that's going to be the world we live in if the vaccines don't get out to enough people. So if we have to test in and test out, well, I guess we test in. I that's all there is to it. It'd be and, worth it at that location, though. Hoff spot's cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, Hoff, it's, can, Hoff, can I bring my uh, my Nashville exploding uh, camper? I don't have at it. <laughs> I didn't know you had a Nashville exploding camper. <laughs> There's only a few of them left. Park it right beside the burning barn. You'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell me where we're going? Well, just look for the burning barn, and you'll be fine. Right. The. Uh, but I do, I, I'm, I'm absolutely serious when I tell you that based on everything that's going on in the world, if I make it through, you know, obviously April, May, June for me is just nothing about nothing but keeping my head down and being busy at the shop. But once that happens, I, I'm fully expecting to be participating in motorcycle events. Yeah. All the damn time. The sun comes out again. It's all going to drop off. Yeah. So, I mean... So we'll see. I mean, I, that's let's all. Let's not die. Let's all just let's commit to a thing of not dying until let's the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I can't make any guarantees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just would rather I'd rather not have that. You know, you're the safest one here, Nick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you probably have seventy five percent less health problems than any of us at this point. <laughs> just, oh, I, I'd hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, yeah, no shit. I'm half the age of any of you. <laughs> yeah, he got rid of his biggest health problem, the Fiat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I still got one of them. Uh, Nick, Nick, you're cured of cancer mostly. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, he is way less likely to get several different diseases, tetanus. He can't get like any sort of a weird heavy metal poisoning. <laughs> They they're not allowed to use asbestos in modern cars anymore, right? <laughs> so just yeah. It's, meanwhile, that Fiat was built from the era of where it was like whatever it takes, just build the fucking car. Made of good Russian steel, good, good <laughs> solid thick Russian steel. Yeah, the best, well, only the best Russian steel. Absolutely. The uh, it it is very it's. I, you know, I drive these old Japanese cars around all the time, and it, you forget that you know. Uh, driving a car does involve all your senses. And so when I'm driving around a 30-year-old Japanese 4x4 that has a motor in it that's smaller than my motorcycle engine, right? There are smells that occur <laughs> that are just like, just driving the car and having a nose, you can be like, oh, that's that's a little hint of a clutch there. Okay. Oh, I'm smelling a little more oil than I'm used to. I should have to check the, I should check the dipstick for sure. And the other day, I, I'm not joking, I the motor sounded different. And because the motor sounded different, I went and checked the oil and I was down half a quart. And And it was purely, I just, the motor just had a different sound to it. And we forget that that's the way cars used to be, you know. Well, and, the windshield wiper reservoirs in the cabin, so it's yeah. like when the temperature changes, it smells like windshield wiper uh, fluid, and then <laughs> it goes away. <laughs> My wife's car—I worked on it last weekend. She had a leaking oil cooler. Yeah, 
And she's like, it sounds different. And I'm like, okay. Well, I started it up and I pulled it in the garage. And while it was idling, I could hear this gurgling. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. This is not good. I shut it off. I did the work to it and everything. Changed. I went to change the oil. And, well, I made Piper change the oil. So I don't really, I didn't really know at the time really how much came out. I suspected very little because <laughs> I checked, when I checked the dipstick, there was nothing on it. Right. <laughs> so turns out what I was hearing was the oil pump fucking gurgling. Trying gurgling. To, <laughs> but a light never came on. Like, I'm like, wow. did you have an oil light or anything on? Nope, nothing at all. I'm like, there was, when I dumped the oil pan into a jug to yeah. take it back to recycling center, there's like a fucking maybe a half a quart. Maybe oh, a half. Man. Ugh. I can't I believe those were, I thought all those red lights were Christmas lights. <laughs> Is that a hundred? I did an oil change. I probably it seems like it's fine, but she fucking I'm like, oh my God. Is that a Hyundai or a Kia? Was that a Hyundai or a That's Kia? That's her Nissan Altima. That's the Altima. Okay. Yeah. Well, don't worry. The transmission will go out before the engine. Hold on one second. You're we're getting a little bit of a lag. Getting some lag well, on John. Say that again. I said, said don't worry. The transmission will fail before the motor does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, um, it seems like it's good now, and I fixed the problem, and it's no longer painting our fucking driveway with oil. Which pisses me off because now I have the scout park where that was sitting, and it looks like the scout's been fucking leaking oil all over. Meanwhile, it's pretty oil tight. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody's gonna call and be like, "Get that thing out of here! It's leaking oil." Shit. Yeah, be like, "That was my wife's Nissan." Oh, uh, people went walking by with their dog. It was raining, and so the oil went the water, and it was like fucking rainbow, yeah. like the Exxon Valdez. Yeah. <laughs> They're giving me the shit. Like, All of a sudden, their dog I fell know. down and slid down the drain. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Phil, you hey. are a, a registered and licensed and operating Benelli dealer, correct? I am, yes. Yeah. yeah. Did you see what they're bringing to the United States in uh, 2021? Hit me. Look at this bad boy. Hit me, Steve. Hit me. Yeah, so this Ooh. is the Leoncino. Uh, Leoncino, um, I'm going to tell you that every piece of documentation that we have at the shop for this motorcycle says calls it the Leoncino, and they never say the word Leoncino without saying the word scrambler right after it. Mm. Now, I'm going to ask you, what makes this bike a scrambler? Well, this one I don't think is, but hold on. No, no, it is. There is no, there's, there's actually, yeah. where's the scrambler? It went somewhere. I saw, there's a picture of a scrambler mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll find it. Yeah, so for the U.S. marketing, so the U.S. marketing for this particular motorcycle, because they do two different versions of their adventure bike. They do an X version and a C version, you know, one that is an off-road with knobbies and a big front tire and the other one that has street tires on it. And the, the off-road one has the big aluminum boxes on it. And then the other one doesn't. So, and it's only a very small amount of money difference between the off-road version and the on-road version of their 500cc adventure bikes. Now, the Leoncino, on the other hand, which which in Italian, Leoncino means little lion. And so on the... the Irish only, cat? Yes. The only part of this bike I love is on the front fender of this bike, there is a three-dimensional little lion. It reminds me like the old Peugeot's and stuff like if you look at when he pulls a picture up again on the front fender there's a little tiny animal that is a little cute adorable lion yeah. and uh but it is the little lion but 
there's nothing about this bike that makes it, you know, that's the Scrambler kit, right? I don't know. Hold on. Yeah. No, no, I would, trust me. You're okay. not going to see that in America this year, right? So that's a special thing. We're not going to get that this year. What shows up in American market? That's the that's an 800, okay? Oh, all right. That is not what we're getting in America. We're just getting this. We're getting the little one, right? So we're getting the little all right. All right. lion. Right. And you'll see right there where it says Leoncino Scrambler. Right. Yeah. That's the one we're getting in America. That's the one might, some of our dealers already have them. You know, they're, ah, they're okay. They're so that's out. called the Scrambler. This right here. That's no. the Scrambler. So again, see the little tiny lion on the front fender. Very yep. adorable. Yeah. But there is nothing about that bike that is a Scrambler. No. It's just not a Scrambler. Right? Uh, what kind of is it? What, how big is the engine? Uh, oh, 500 parallel twin. Five, yeah, 500 cc. Yep. yep. So it's a 500 cc twin, and I I got to tell you, I have no problem with anything about this bike, other than they call it a scrambler. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not. And it's 6,200 bucks. Mm. That's. I mean, for a 500, that does, I mean, like knowing the quality of Benelli, I mean, that's. Right. It's a. It's it's a. It should be 5,200 bucks, not 6,200 bucks. Or and 60, that's yeah, right. I just well, don't. Like, um, uh, like a not a scrambler. Uh, it's like a, it's like an FXS. It's more like that style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But I mean, it, it's a cool. I mean, like the thing is, is Benelli's been doing pretty good. You know what I found out recently? Benelli had a fucking sick adventure bike back in 2006. Right. They kept breaking the frame. It's like the Torino or the Torretino or some shit like that. Now here's the crazy thing. As much as I think Benelli does a great job, and I have no problem with what Benelli does, and I'm a, I tend to be kind of a Benelli fanboy, the Honda CB500X, yeah, which is an actual scrambler, which yeah, is a Honda adventure bike, right, is sixty nine ninety nine. So mm -hmm. for seven hundred dollars more than that standard bike, I can get a CB500X that to me is a proper use of the term scrambler and is a very good entry level to adventure motorcyclery. Um, I just, and it's a, and people generally love those CB500Xs. And you have the whole uh, rally raid options of level yeah. one, two, and three, where you can take it yeah. to a literal fucking like yeah. go to the car and win car bike. Yeah. Right. So, to me, I didn't order any of the, I did not pre-order any of the Leoncinos. I didn't order because the bike has a fucking identity complex. And it's my history that says anytime a bike has an identity complex, they don't sell very well. Hmm. And that bike is called a scrambler, but it's not a scrambler. Well, now that you said that you're not going to order any of them, yeah. to me, it kind of almost looks like the new... Uh the Honda uh, fucking CB eleven hundred or whatever it is. No, not that nice. Um, <laughs> not that nice. <laughs> the Rebel. I mean, look at a picture of the yeah. Rebel, like that kind of tank. It's thing. got the weird gas tank. Yeah, it's got the <laughs> weird shape. Yeah, I, I when it first hit, the other two bikes they're bringing in, their adventure bikes that they're bringing in, I do like them. I think they're great, but I just don't think that. I just don't think Americans are going to buy a 500cc adventure bike. I, I, don't know. I just don't. I don't know. I think, what's the weight of it? What's the weight of the, the, the TRX? Uh, pull, it, pull it up. It's heavy, but I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my well, head. If it's heavy, nobody will buy it. But if it's not yeah. heavy, yeah. nobody right. will still buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the TRK 502X. And the TRK 502X um, 
it's it's fine. It, they did the they did a TRK five hundred two and they did a TRK five hundred two X, and one of them has knobby tires, uh, nineteen inch front wheel. The other one has a seventeen inch you know street setup. No problem with the bike as a whole. I, I just don't I don't have a problem with it. Oh, well, it's, it's a, a BMW. It like it's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. But they 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 put the snout long enough that it's over the front fender, so it's super fucking cool. It's a that, really that looks pretty good. Yeah. It does, and I I have no problem with the bike at all. I, I I'm gonna say I I just don't have an issue. It's sixty four hundred bucks, and it's got forty eight horsepower though. Huh. That's how much does it weigh? Oh, it looks heavy. Hey, it's heavy. Where's the weight machine on this thing here? All the way at the bottom. Wheel uh, four sixty-nine hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. It looks that's, like about four hundred. That's dry weight. So five five hundred wet. So the funny thing is, this bike is. So just to put it in perspective, this bike is thirty pounds heavier than a Versi six fifty. With not as much power, right? The right. Versi has to have more power than this. The Versi is almost, <laughs> you know, seventy horsepower. So right. if you haven't, if you don't know about Versys, Phil just dropped a video about all the different Versys. Right. Yeah, and so because I do love Versys and I swear by them, I would much rather own a any number of years old Versys than this bike than the TRK five hundred two. Dude, this and nozzle is just, too long. It's just too long. That's a big. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you imagine the schnabel, the schnabel on the TRK five hundred two from Benelli is extremely long, and it is so long, in fact, that if you were a water molecule going around that front tire and you made it through the front fender, the schnabel would make no difference whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah, because it's going up this inch. It's going up that yeah. way. Exactly. So it is a very so the five oh two is the seventeen inch wheels, the five oh two X is the mix the mix of the off road tires and shit. But my point being that if I'm gonna spend sixty five hundred dollars uh, on a TRK 502, which means I'm going to be buying it at a dealer and I'm probably going to have to pay a setup fee and probably going to have to pay some title fees and shit like that. I'd probably really rather spend $4,200, save two grand, and buy a kick ass Versys, you know? Yeah. Um, with a 650cc motor that I know can go 100 miles an hour down the freeway without thinking about it. And for 100,000 miles without a lot of problems, mostly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a Versys is a brick, it's a bulletproof bike yep. um so i would say for having something that looks like that i would personally probably buy either a v-strom or a versus mm -hmm. and have 650 cc's for 30 percent less money taking into consideration i'll be buying a used bike well and that's the thing so cf moto let me see if i can find this yeah moto just dropped the whole fucking they sure did and it's it's really cool looking but then i saw the price and i'm like ah you killed me like Right. Why did it? Why did they, Hold on, it's just too much. Give me a second. Talk among yeah. yourselves. Hold on. Here. No, no problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are the? Uh, did you see that link that I sent for the Honda BMX two fifty F? Yeah, the F. That was a three cylinder two stroke Honda. Yep. V twin. Well, not a V twin. A V triple. It's a V triple. Right, yeah. it's V triple. It's bizarre. So the new, like CF Moto. So the big news. Well, I guess the big news we should tell people about is that CF Moto joined forces with KTM. Right. And so KTM is kind of doing this thing right now where it's like, oh, we're KTM and we're still orange and we're still Austrian and we're still cool, except 
the vast majority of our shit will now be made in China. And that's going to be a weird thing. So, well, and that was what I said on the last podcast yeah. is that the CF Moto is now marketing the same bike that they make for KTM as their own bike. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's a very funny thing. And that collaboration, like the whole idea, there it is. uh, it's remember that it's a joint situation where, where CF Moto owns 51% of KTM. So when people are like, Oh, well, you know, KTM, bought well, they CF own Moto. KTM. Well, exactly. check this out. So CMO, CM, C, I can't say it. CF Moto. CF Moto is releasing right. this, and KTM is cool with it. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they have to be cool with it, Steve, because K, because CF Moto owns 51% of their company. <laughs> right. Right. But this is basically a KTM. I mean, like, of if course you look, it is. You look at that. Absolutely. Well, it it's not orange. <laughs> <laughs> well you just didn't select the right color option they have an orange one the orange version the orange version says ktm on it, it's three thousand dollars more you know what i think i think they can get away with it though as long as they do sell it for 20 15 20 less and they don't right. make it orange right but and it's that's not, it's not there's that. still going to be the ktm people who are going to buy the orange one and the not ktm right. people who are going to save a little bit of money yep you got it what that's is the uh, exactly right. 213 kilograms? What's the weight of that thing? Uh, that's uh, five nine five eighty six. Five okay five seven four fifty. Yeah, it's 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 two and a quarter times that. And then what is seventy point seven PSs? Uh, that's about sixty eight horsepower. All right, so it's not that terrible. No, it's not bad at all. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you believe any of those numbers they put out. Because I don't believe a single right, one. Right, of them. right. Yeah, it's a right. yeah, promotion. I don't believe one number printed on that chart. But but I I do find it fascinating that these companies that like nobody like besides everybody on this podcast and twelve of our listeners, nobody else knows who the fuck CF Moto is. Right. But, I don't even. Yeah, but, but I but I see. But well, I. Well, you're not on the podcast. Right. <laughs> I've been working on CF Motos for over 10 years. Right. And what I can tell you is that, you know, CF Moto is in Hangzhou. So they're, they're in Hangzhou, China. And it has been my experience that CF Moto will build you any quality of bike you ask for while you're watching. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> while then, you're watching. Yeah. And no. then when you stop watching, then they remind you that they are a much bigger company that you've ever even imagined in your life and that you mean nothing to them. So like CF Moto is this company that when you say like, oh, well, KTM bought CF Moto. Fuck you. KTM didn't buy CF Moto. KTM needed money. And CF Moto said, I want to own 51% of you. CF Moto could have owned 100% of KTM, but they don't need to. They okay. only need to own 51% to steer the ship. And that's what you got to be careful of, is when you got to remember, you are getting in bed with Chinese businesses. They pride themselves on ending up with a better deal. Do not expect high degrees of ethics. Do not expect high but- degrees of... You know, but besides ethics, so like yeah. I was in the hobby industry for a long time, and yeah. like a lot of the guys that had companies, obviously here in America, you know, I yeah. had manufacturing in China, and it's more, it's beyond business ethics. It's 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 like their way of life. Like if you care enough 
as a company owner to have a dude live in China in the thing and be the QC guy that's there Monday through Friday while the shifts are there, you will get an excellent fucking product. Yes, you will. Yep. And because you're showing your loyalty to that company, you're right. saying I have a, I have me or whoever's there is part of the process and we value you as our manufacturer and we're here to help you. They'll make you a good product. But the right. minute that you're like, well, all right, you guys are doing a great job. My guy can come home and you're not investing in them. Yeah. Now, instead of the 99.9% .9 pure metal, you're getting the 75.5% pure metal because they're like, oh, this guy doesn't give a fuck. So we can, we can make more money on this product. Absolutely. I totally agree. Like they are, CF Moto is such a huge company that they do things they report numbers and they've structured themselves in ways to make themselves look smaller. Now that is contrary to everything we would ever imagine, but they actually work hard to make themselves look like they have less employees, to make themselves look like they have a smaller footprint. Because remember, it's a Chinese company. 10% of the government and 10% of that company is owned by the government. So we, you have to remember that you are not on a level playing field at all. If you get into bed with the Chinese, that's great. They will pay the bill. That's cool. They're going to send you a check, and the check will cash. It is the opposite of getting in bed with Harley Davidson, I guess. But <laughs> what is crazy is that you you do have to maintain your guy living there, being there constantly, or they're going to make it their job to save 50 cents on every $10 component. Right. And you got to catch them on that. But you know what? They don't give a shit about you. I really don't believe that they care once they get the contract. I just don't think they do because we've seen products that started really, really good. And then the quality dropped off really, really fast. Right. So, and the thing is, is that, you know, it's a cultural difference. Like their main priorities are their family and themselves. And right. so if they can make an extra five bucks that'll support right. their family for that day, they're going to fucking do it. Then. Let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. Say you're sitting here making something. Right. And you know it's going to fucking China. Right. How much do you really care how, how good that part is that's going off to fucking China? Right. Right. Do you care that some poor motherfucker in China can end up broken down on the side of the fucking rice paddy? <laughs> no. You're just getting paid right. to exactly. sell, make as many of these fucking things and fucking send them out into the world. Yeah. Not your fucking problem. Yeah. Yep. And that's exactly right. And that mindset, we know, we open the boxes, we take a look at the parts, and sometimes we, t we take a look at a part and we can't even put it on the bike. And we know that the idea is that they know you're not going to mail that part back to them. They know that the cost of returning the part back to them, it's a loss. So that you're just going to eat it and you're just going to buy it from somebody else next time. And then that's when you find out that the part you bought next time is the same fucking part with a different name on it in a slightly different colored box. And it's very tough. It's extremely difficult. And that's why I worry a little bit about companies like KTM uh, companies like BMW and other companies that are stalwart old quality companies dealing with China on a big level. Because remember, the the KTM part of it, the Austria part of it goes away real fast. But I'm sure at that level of KTM, they have many people living in China when they're doing that. Like they're not just like, hey, here's our new KTM. Take it over and make us a bike. Like there's definitely some engineers down there. Like when you have, I mean, that I'm not the only one who's bought something from fucking China that you look at it and you're like, I don't understand how I can buy this for a dollar and fifty fucking right. cents. Right. I mean, 
sales had to be more than a dollar fifty cents, let alone fucking producing it and shipping it here and everything. And I'm holding this and I'm buying it for fucking nothing. How did how does that happen? Yeah, and then you put it on and it's broken in a week. <laughs> and then you're like, now I know why it costs a dollar fifty. So and but some items though, you can actually buy a hundred of the dollar fifty items and if they work for fucking twenty minutes, you're still right. saving money over buying a fucking two thousand dollar US one. But as the guy that yeah, does labor kills you. Yeah, that's right. And the guy that works on the bike, I'll be the first to tell you that I argue against the labor kills you thing. <laughs> labor does not kill you. You look at businesses, labor's and an, it's a it's a known quantity and everything like that. Yeah. But businesses have a lot of other expenses and stuff like that too. You're I think as utilities, Bill, you pay what 600 bucks a month at least in heating cooling yeah but the trick with the trick with that that i is scalable so if you pay like for instance if you have a 10,000 square foot shitty factory and you space 600 a month for heating and utilities whether you have three people working in there or 30 people working in there the utilities are the same and if you can have 30 people working in there for the same price that you have three people working in there well then that's where you start making a lot of money real fast because your labor volume is 10 times higher than it was before here's the thing that i will help you guys with that drives me crazy honda which is a product we all know and love honda remember when they sold the rights they they sold the tooling and stuff for that that honda helix they sold that off to cf moto and then so in 1990 that was you know 1999 2000 that was when honda stopped building the the helix and the helix was a known entity it was a product that we all knew it was a product that we all knew how to work on the parts fit everything worked it was a fucking known entity because the helix had been around for a very long time and when honda had sold off the tooling to cf moto and didn't make the honda helix anymore they had moved on to the reflex then all of a sudden there was a demand for the old honda helix and they decided what they were going to do is they were going to buy the honda helixes from cf moto it was just called a charm 250 you've heard this story before they bought the bikes they rebadged them as honda using their own badging and they sold it to americans to give them what they asked for I have worked on a lot of these bikes, and I will tell you they are not the same. So the same tooling in Japan versus in China will produce a totally different product to the consumer. You will have different fail points, you will have a lack of reliability, and you will have shit that just doesn't fit right. But I think that and, goes back to the culture of each country. Yeah. Like Japan, their culture is all about honor and respect and doing yeah. the best. So if they tell you that they're going to give you a certain medal, you're going to get that fucking medal. If there's a guy there or not, you're going to get 99.9% .9 of whatever medal. Yeah. In China, you might get 79%. And that's a huge factor. Do you know what happened up until about 1955? Japan fucked China. Yeah. On the regular. So if you go back and follow your history, Japan did awful, terrible things to China mm -hmm. on the regular for a very, very, very long time. And so what now China is doing is China is getting their revenge. And China is managing to systematically, if you look at production numbers for a country, China has been just growing insane, right? Whereas Japan has been dropping off. And that's the thing. China has been growing tenfold. Japan has been dropping off. And 
China is definitely, in my opinion, I think that they have got some ego in the game and they're saying that you fucked us for thousands of years. Now we're fucking you. And if China can take the bike that they build for $450 and sell it to Honda so they can sell it to our customers for $4,800 or $4,900, then China is going to say, yeah, we'll sell it to you, but it ain't going to be for the $400. It's going to be for $2,700, you know? We're going to demand the same price you were selling it for. We're going to like, because you need it. And that I think is a dangerous position. I think that when you need something from China, they got you by the balls. Well, look at masks. Like we had, we exported like 90% of fucking H95 masks to China. Yeah. yeah. And then they were like, Oh, the whole world needs them. Fuck you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I minute. just, I'm very, I'm very cautious when I try to make big investments that involve things from China. It's very difficult uh, because I do have to put the things together. And sometimes when we put the things together and they're not right out of the box or we see an, uh, we see a Japanese company that switched over to a different brand of brakes and we know that the brand of brakes they're using is made in China. Right. And then we see problems with that. And we see failure points and we see like a lot of recall items. And we're like, well, why is there a recall? Aren't those things supposed to be tested? Well, yeah, the prototype and the original run was tested, tested very well. But then the mass produced part of it was man made for them in China. And that's why they're getting the failures. And that's why the things are coming back in. So, so I have a speaking of China and everything. um, I have a challenge for our, uh, our listeners and our uh, subscribers and things. Uh, we would like once Steve gets his compound built, we have to have Wednesday night mini bike racing. So we need at least four seventy-five or hundred cc SSR mini bikes to permanently park at Steve's house for Wednesday night mini bike drunk racing. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I we, think that's an absolutely fantastic idea. And what I would propose is that we do four of the uh, SSR one tens. Yes, perfect. We do it in NASCAR style, so they're all identical. Identical, no modifications, right? No modifications. All, all rider skill. Yep, all rider skill. Because I totally, I love what these guys are doing down in Cincinnati with the Circus Bear Racing, and they're doing it all on fifty cc. And I got so jealous of everything that they're doing. That looks so amazing and fun. Does, does Holy it. shit! Except for the having to wear leathers and on cement. When you're on yeah. grass, you just have to wear whatever you want. So whatever that's, you got, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So, but yeah, no, I think, I think this next year we have to have at least bi-weekly mini bike racing at Steve's compound. Well, and I think that it would be a really good opportunity for us to do, um, I'll provide the bikes, I'll provide those SSR 110s, and we'll do them either as, you can have your choice of a manual transmission or a sure. um, semi-automatic. Yeah. So... I, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't only have a manual. There's no way I would have a semi-automatic. Would, would anybody want the semi-automatic? No. no. I'll take it for the challenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will provide camera gear and multiple cameras to film everything and then edit it and make sure that all our viewers can see all the races right. every week. 100%. Well, uh, so here's, here's I will my supply bourbon. this sounds like it's coming together (laughs) this is my commitment that i will say here's what we'll do because i do want to do this and i was going to do this last year for mid-ohio so you know liza and the motorcycles and misfits they are part of our family without a doubt 
We love them. So last year we had made an arrangement with the misfits that what I would do is because I'm an SSR dealer, I was going to order in an extra grip of uh, SSR 110s or 125s and we would push them out to the misfits. So the misfits would come in from mid Ohio. We'd push these bikes out to them and let them go forth and frolic at mid Ohio. But then when they, um, then it was each misfits job though, to have a, a pie plate on the front of the bike that said it was for sale. Right. And so each misfit could, while they were at mid Ohio, sell their bike. And if they sold their bike for any more money than I paid for it, that money went in their pocket. So they could make a profit at mid Ohio for fuck's sake. And if they couldn't sell it, then I would take it to the shop and I'd sell it at the shop. Right. Right. And we'll, we'll eventually fucking move it along throughout the course of the year. I have enough experience with these SSR one tens and one twenty fives to tell you, they are really good bikes. Like they are remarkably good bikes under very fat aunts and uncles. Like, so (laughs) Plenty of really, really big, fat human beings have tried to kill an SSR 110 or 125, and they just can't do it. So it's the perfect bike for us. Yes. Yeah. And so I think instead of Circus Bear Racing League, we should be Drunken Bear Racing League. Yes. Uh, But so I I would say I, I would like somebody, at least one of our group, to look at the website and figure out whether they want to do a 125 or they want to do a 110. Uh, they're very similar. They're they're remarkably similar. I think if we're in, here's my commitment. One ten would be better. Okay, so here's my idea. My idea is that Which one I had the electric first, start. Oh, the seventy. That was uh, the little the kids' bike. The uh, seventy. Yeah, yeah. That was the seventy. Let's so, do that one. So here's your no, idea. you can't. Here's your idea. So here's my idea. I'm gonna go ahead and buy a bunch of these. So I'll go ahead and get like. I'll go ahead and get six or seven of them for us. And I'll just, I'll just make one order that is just for us and I'll buy them and they will be our official Cleveland moto bikes. We, we will own them. Um, and we'll just have them at the compound. That's just where they will live. And then you can do whatever the fuck you want with it. If you want to go over and kiss one and call it your own, if you're going to do any modifications, that's fine. Just make them better. Don't make them worse. Right. So if you make them better, you don't make them worse. If you break it, you've paid to fix it. Who gives a shit? Just keep to keep our stable of bikes healthy is our job. Once I buy them, as long as you guys keep them healthy, I don't give a fuck. And then when we have our friends come in from Santa Cruz and we go to mid Ohio, they've got shit to ride, you know? Of course. But here's the thing. We have to make consequences for the races. So like every couple of weeks when we do these races, when somebody doesn't win, then they have to do shit work. Like they have to do like whatever, whatever we determine, whatever, but there has to be a consequence to not winning once in a while. Like, I don't know what shit work would be with the podcast. Figure it out. There's gotta be something. There's gotta be something we have to do. Maybe they have to pull weeds out. If you lose, you have to pull all the weeds around Hoff's compound. That's what you have to do. We have to, that's it. We'll maintain, we'll maintain, maintain the track. If we can do this grass, Cutting the, grass, do this. cutting the grass and maintaining the track uh, and rolling it. If you, I, kinda, I have a feeling I have some insight on how Steve Hoffert works. And, and here's the thing that I found out about you, Steve. You don't like to have people come do your work for you much. No, he doesn't. What, Steve's, what Steve would want is if you lose, 
You've got to drink a bottle of brown yeah. liquor. Yeah, you know, if, you lose, like if, if you lose, you have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I do feel strongly about or this. Fight like a I bear. Said, I felt, yeah, yeah. I I felt real good about it last year. I had ordered some bikes specifically for the Misfits, yeah. um, and then. Middle Ohio didn't happen, so I just sold them to people as I do. But um, I'll be happy. I'll order. I'll order a group of these bikes in, and we'll have uh, we'll have a little fleet. Um, and I'll make sure to get all different colors. There won't be any two bikes with the same color, so it'll be real easy to tell them apart. And then we'll just have a little fleet of one tens that are available for anybody to fuck off with. And then the idea being that, you know, as we crash them, we'll we'll fix them and make them better. And they'll just be kind of a living homage to Cleveland Moto. Well, and also this is stress testing. It is stress testing. (laughs) And top of this, we'll film every aspect of this 100 percent. Yeah. Bring it all to our listeners. Look, I'm 51 years old. I have got the heart of a person who's been racing since I was a child. But my body is falling apart. Right. So I, I think I think just the uh, the medical emergencies and stuff that we're going to film will be worth any investment in this. Like one person, yeah. one person is always going to have to be on the side of the track. Nine one one thumb on the send button. <laughs> nine one and waiting on. Yeah, right. <laughs> the uh, I. But I, I do love the idea of taking mini bikes and just fucking around. Like, you know, build, if you've got the property, Steve, let's, you know. Well, and we should also do some endurance shit where it's like, you know, a team, a couple of teams where, you yeah. know, you have to figure out there has to be 15 beers drank or 20 beers drank. It doesn't matter who does it and who races, but I think, team. I think we can do hair scrambles through Lakewood. <laughs> Bike <laughs> life has handled that, but that's cool. Yeah. Well, what I if it, if the stuff lives at Steve's place when we go out there, I see I in picture in my head. I picture a tractor, and I picture us landscaping a lot of jumps, and then going out and making the jumps shorter and shorter and shorter every time we go out there. <laughs> oh shit! I broke a knee. All right, bring it down two feet. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to start out looking real cool, like a mini motocross track, and then it's going to get flatter and flatter and flatter. It's going to look like a golf fucking mini golf course. When we get done, it's going to look like an ice racing oval. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do the hill climb. The hill climb is down over into the ravine. Right. Back up. There's mud. Stay out of the mud hole. It's probably up to your chest. <laughs> but then, you, but then you got to make it back up the hill, back into the yard. That's but as long as, you, as long as you put zip ties on the back wheel, you'll be fine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm I'm willing to say that I think this is a great idea, and I'm willing to back it as far as the bikes are concerned. So I'll just go ahead and I'll order up a grip of them, and we'll get a bunch of one tens and see what happens. Ah, you know? uh, this is awesome. This is what we were talking about on Saturday. We wanted to do something. This is going to be great. Steve, what do you think about it? What's your feeling? I like riding 110s. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody here doesn't like riding 110s. <laughs> what do we need to set up like a little ride and shoot course where we like shoot it? Oh. Off the how, about back this, how, about this, how about this? How about this? If, do we have to order another container to lock the bikes up in? <laughs> oh, he's got two. How many containers do you need? But listen... I think if you bring a vintage bike around yeah. the same thing and you want to enter the, the vintage bike into the race, you get an extra five points. You get a, oh. you, get a hat, you get a quarter lap head start or something. If you're okay. right. All right. Yeah. yeah. 
That's that's kind of a good idea, right? Because it can be one way. Run what you brung. You could either run a house bike, right? Right. You could run a house bike, or you could run run what you brung. Right. And that's and that's we can, pretty we cool. can open that up to listeners. If listeners want to challenge us on one of our Wednesday uh, mini bike races, they can bring what they want to bring, and maybe say, you know, hey, can you beat us? That's the whole thing. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Cost of entry: one bottle of brown something. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the deluxe models. Not Jenkum though. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that if we go, if we want to go something really like really kooky and and just, uh, I I think this is. I think it's a good move. I think I can do the one ten deluxe models for like just a little over a thousand bucks a pop. And if we do those, we can. I'll just get a fleet of them. We'll just we'll just have them, and. That I think will be a very fun thing for us to just have kicking around. Uh, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. That that's cool. Well, that's a mini mid Ohio every fucking Wednesday. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And and plus, and when we have friends swing by, you know, we we got a bunch of other weird little fucking bikes too. So, you know, that's that's where it's. It becomes a lot of fun because we can mix and match things. You know, you want to add in your, your your 70cc or your 110, you know, your CT. Fucking rock on, dude. You know, just... just we'll, we'll, we'll create a spreadsheet. And so if you bring a YZ250, that's cool. But you're three laps behind when we start. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. That's not the worst idea in the world. I mean... Yeah, like all of those things. Like the more that you start looking into that kind of shit, the more you're like, yeah, that 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 kind of makes sense, and it and it does. I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So yeah, that's that's cool. I dig yeah, that. And with re- so if you go on to like um, you know Alibaba or something, yeah. uh, rechargeable LED lights that last four and five hours wow. are cheap as shit. Wow. You know, so you can get a bunch of those and actually light the track, and it'd be fucking great, man. Wow, that's cool. I didn't, I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would. I, that's that's fantastic. And I do love the idea of involving a little sportsmanship, like maybe a little, you know, a little biathlon action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of that shit. That's cool. You definitely have a series where there's like certain like straight races, certain uh, shoot something races. Mm-hmm. Certain, like you know every lap is a beer or every lap is a shot race like there's, there's so many opportunities <laughs> i think we're getting ahead of ourselves we I need to we just are getting we, way need to make, we need to make it happen and then we'll, we'll <laughs> i think you're absolutely right nick the first I thing's first there's a relatively high possibility that i'm going to take my ct90 out there this weekend and burn a bar oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's happening we're burning shit down this weekend yeah. grumpy store guy's punk ass shows up with his cl70 i'm gonna fuck his rubbing nose and shit yeah there we go so <laughs> i have a cl70 that that's your uh, a cl70 Oh, there it is. I have a bunch of C70s. I think at this well, point. What was that little gray it. bike you had? Didn't you have a CL70? I have an SL70. Oh, okay. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Look at Phil. Phil's got the bike that we're going to be killing each other. Right. There I figure go. that's perfect. I figure that that's exactly what we want to do. That's excellent. If that's we do something, if we do something like that, that's the 110. And I mean, you know, there those are those are easy enough to get into. There's nothing nothing too crazy about well, that. I think the whole premise of this would not be to go over. We don't want to go faster. Faster is right. going to be deadlier. We just want to have fun. Right. 
you know? Yeah, and that's, and that's really what it comes down to is getting into something that's just going to be a, a hoot, just a, a bike that's just stupid fun to ride. The, uh, I, I was looking at kind of like bumping up to the 125 just to make it more fun and make it more powerful. But it's like you get Does into the one, bigger wheels. Well, so to get into the bigger wheel bike, you're adding 600 bucks per bike. So no. you're going from a thousand dollar bike to a $1,600 bike. What's the cheapest possible bike? The, well, that would be the 70, but we will break 70s. Like they have a 50cc with a pull starter. The 50cc with a pull starter is 544 bucks. The uh, the 70cc that you guys are riding around my neighborhood, riding around my shop, those are around 890 bucks. To do an, a base model SR110 is a thousand bucks. I think that's the butter zone. I think it is the butter zone. I think you're exactly right. I think that's the butter zone. And for a thousand bucks, I'll go ahead and order in a bunch of them and then we'll use some patreon money and i'll talk to some of my people you know some of my different suppliers and we'll try to make this work out financially but if we have six or seven of these things just standing by then so be it and you know what and then this is what we should do and when you can do you can oppose this or not but maybe yeah. when we come to race everybody puts 10 bucks in a pot to race yeah oh yeah that is fixing money like yeah, we'll that's a good a idea. Pot, we'll build that's a, a really pot of fixing money. So yeah, put that into the maintenance section. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. Like it's not it's not for profit. It's just to keep this shit going so we can keep getting drunk and racing motorcycles on so a way. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I'm going to tell you something about these SSRs that is not trade information. This is not to go out to the general public. So if you if you hear this on the radio, don't share this with your friends. Uh, this is not for, we're not going to put this on the internet or anything. Cleveland Moto exclusive. exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so when you deal with some of these play bikes and you deal with these little pit bikes and stuff like that, the manufacturer, um, SSR in particular, made a, a good point when they picked out which bike to have in America. It was really smart they picked a bike that had extraordinarily parts commonality right uh -huh. so it is a funny thing that you can actually order virtually any part for that motorcycle behind me on amazon yeah and you can get it probably faster than i can get it at the shop <laughs> so the uh so this is a weird thing we tell a lot of our customers we're like well look you know I'll order it in for you, but it might take me seven or nine or 10 days to get it. If you Amazon prime that you might get the part you need in two days. Right. So, um, and the price will be the same. Cause it's all just look the parts on these things. This is the example of diabolical China. You can't buy anything of good quality for a thousand dollars. You know, that's just it. You just can't, they, you know, if you get a Honda XR50 uh, or an XR70 or an XR80 used and you spend about $700, $800 for it, yeah, that you're getting into something you probably kick around for a long time, but you're probably not going to find it for less than a grand. And this is a grand of Chineseium. You're buying $1,000 worth of incredibly horrible treatment of the Uyghur people on your dollar. That's what you're paying for. So if you can live with that, you can ride one of those for a thousand bucks. Hell yeah. God bless America. <laughs> I think honestly, they've come a long way and they're actually not horrible. Like you can, no, like, no, they're, they're far from horrible. Yeah, they're like, far well, from horrible. If you actually maintain them, tighten shit, 
change yeah. bolts, do some things. They'll last. I mean, my Hellcat that I bought for nine hundred dollars shipped to my door. Right. I beat the living fuck out of that thing for a fucking a year, and it right. lasted. But I also did a lot of maintenance on it. So right. it's all the please time. have a welder standing by for whatever bike I happen to ride. <laughs> <laughs> I have a MIG welder there. Yep, uh, that's steel inner shield, so that's easy to you know anybody can weld right. with that. Anybody can weld with that. John, John needs before we start this, he needs somebody to cut him a metal bar that's the exact same size as the rear shock, so we can just plug it in and have <laughs> a solid rear. <laughs> well, anybody, so anybody who's interested. Um, if you any of our team here, if you guys want to swing by the shop at any point, I've got the one tens and I got the one twenty fives in stock, and uh, we'll just look at them real quick. We'll just kind of give them a close look, and we'll just be like, okay, well the one twenty five, you know, or the one one ten, because on these bikes the one twenty five is about twelve hundred bucks, uh, twelve hundred and thirty five bucks, and the one ten is about a thousand bucks. So it's are they the same the same frame size? Yeah, about okay. Eh, a little bit bigger. So the 125 is a little bit bigger. There's there's no doubt about it. The 125 as a machine, the 125 does displace a little bit more tonnage. Uh, the 110 is definitely their medium. You know, their their uh, their vanilla. So the the 110 is kind of the the goes anywhere, does anything all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, but the 125, with the 125, you do get into a 12-inch and 14-inch wheel. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So with the, that's a little bit different. So doing a 12 on the back and the front, the front being a 14, when you're on the 110, you're on a 10 in the back and 12 in the front. So, so basically, it's up to Patreon guys. If you want to see us hurt us on a bigger bike... <laughs> <laughs> Donate a little bit more. Donate right. a little bit more money. Just hurt us on a smaller bike, then leave right. it as it is. Right. Yeah. So the 125, you know, the 125 comes with a 12 on the back and a 14 on the front as factory standard, even if you get the base model for, you know, 1234 bucks or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm good. and a neck brace for the ambulance. You know, <laughs> you know, those little carts. I do love the fact that we have an ambulance already standing by. Right. Yeah. That has the Umbrella Corporation logos all exactly. over. Exactly. But yeah. you just don't want to go to the hospital in Oberlin because if you go in for a hangnail, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Just have well, you, Steve. Just have those things charged. Those things on the wall that you have to fucking hit people with. Oh God! <laughs> Make sure you have those charged. And we. Oh, he's just gonna have two car, two car batteries, jumper cables, and a couple of sponges that he peed on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all good. Yeah. You know, things fun. to do the orbital orbital lobotomies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, so I'll go ahead and I'll get cracking on that so we can get a couple of these guys just kind of hanging around. And then that'll at least move us into the point of being like, okay, well, if we've got the bikes hanging around, then somebody might be inclined. What kind of tractor equipment you got over at the property there, Steve? I have a TO30. Yeah. With a back blade. A, oh, you're a, fine. A bucket. Yeah. And if I, can, if I get that other tractor that's sitting there, I'll have a backhoe and a uh, front bucket. So. Yeah, this tractor oh. looks, I, I can't believe, like, you know, Ohio, we have a lot of rust, right? Like, yes, we do. Rust, right? <laughs> we have a, a corner tractor. on the rust market. He has a tractor in front of this barn that's going to burn this weekend, which I'm super excited about. 
Um, but this tractor is totally not rusted, but there's a tree, literally like a seven inch tree growing up through the side of it. Oh my God. It, 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 how long it's had it been there for what? 25, <clears throat> 20 years or something like that, Steve. Uh, I've owned the other house for 15 years. So they must have, that tractor was new when I, he just got that tractor when I moved in. So, okay. Maybe seven, eight years or something like that. Uh, oh, about 10, maybe. <laughs> the crazy part is well, I mean, I shouldn't say he got it right when I moved in, but a little bit after I moved in, he got that tractor. So, but it's pretty amazing that like that's not a new tractor. That's like a nineteen fifty something Ford nine N or whatever. Sixties. Uh, what do they call it? Jubilee. Jubilee. Yeah. But but what's amazing yeah. is that like it's not really that rusty. It's not really that fucked up. It's not really that beat up or anything. I mean, I'm sure it's going to need some work to get running. But like, there's a tree growing up through it. Like it's like <laughs> it looks way better than it should be for a tree growing up through it. Like I'm yeah. just all I'm saying. Yeah. They put the paint on thick. I'd back. like to try to get the Chevy van running. Oh, that thing's awesome too, dude. We opened. The, I, I cracked the back door. Property. I snuck in and cracked the back door of that van yeah. and it just smelled like semen. It was why don't, we, <laughs> why don't we contact the guy from Vice Grip Garage and we'll oh, get the yeah, Derek Garage. Jared or whatever his name is. Yeah. And we'll get Jared from Vice Grip Garage to come out and get that Chevy van running. Yeah. Be like, <laughs> Offer to him for free. He'll come out. I guarantee you he'll do it, dude. Yeah. So you can have it. And I'll buy you a beer. Because that dude's a saucer, man. He's he's in, dude. I'm telling you, like so we just got to get, you know, we just got to get the sparkulators <laughs> and the electric computionators. <laughs> and, and it'll be fun. It. And then a little zit zit and a little and it'll be yeah, fucking it'll be perfect. Good yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's it. It's perfect. So I think that's great, man. So bring yeah. it on. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah wrong with that. So are we, are we going to get together on Saturday and burn a barn down? Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, just burning normal shit was fun, but burning that barn down is going to be fucking rad. I'm where's this? Where's this at in in uh, Oberlin? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll ride the C Team One Forty. Just look up, <laughs> just look up the uh, the Oberlin uh, uh, water treatment plant, and then yeah. talk about six hundred feet to wastewater, wastewater, water. Sorry, sorry, wastewater treatment plant, and then walk six hundred feet to the left. Mm-hmm. And the good news, and the good news is, it'll be a balmy thirty-one degrees. All right, I'm, not, I'm in. By that fire, dude, I'll tell you right now, it'll be through fucking twelve thousand degrees. <laughs> I have. I'll, I'll next. I I had a, a busy week, so I didn't have time to pull the footage. But I have footage of the infernal uh, of hell that was taking place. Like when this this the left side of the fire opened up. It was literally hell. You could take a stick and throw it in there, and by the time it hit the bottom of it, it was like, sorry. But I think at one point when the thing was really going, Steve pointed out a mouse running with its tail on fire out of the thing. <laughs> it was running into the fire. Oh, it into the fire, and it was like, oh, no. Fried, so it was fucking. It was Burning Man. The mouse was too high, fucking <laughs> fucked up, and just ran right into the fire, man. If you give me social distancing and a fire in the middle and alcohol, I feel COVID safe. Oh so yeah, I'm good. I mean, we were, yeah. The whole time last week, we were really pretty good about that. My, I even brought my daughter. She was there for a while, and then she sat in the car and said, "You're a loser." But besides that, it was it was fun. But we we definitely kept social distancing. Yeah. We weren't fucking stupid, so it was cool. Well, that's great. Well, probably, I could bring out my smoker and we could do food too. If we're if people are actually coming out, we could I could bring a smoker out there and we could do burgers and dogs or brats or whatever. So what time, nobody, what time are you starting this fiasco? Are we going early. Nobody ever needs to feed me, man. 
Want to start at like 10 or 11 so we're there like when it's warmer and not getting dark? We have to wait till Dan wakes up. No, you're not. This one's going to burn longer, so I mean, we should probably start the burn at about 10. All right. Oh, there you go. How many, how many five-gallon gas cans are going into this fucker? And John, you're not bringing your not non-burning juice, are you? <laughs> That's all I have, man. <laughs> My juice is no good, man. <laughs> but I just want to pull out. I want to pull out a few of those uh, four by sixes for the porch, and then once we get those out, then we could collapse the one whole side in, and then we'll light it. Yeah, I felt like we're gonna have to use a chainsaw to cut cut something. Yep. Like put get a rope on it and pull it with a tractor, and then make some select cuts and tip it over. I don't know if it's gonna just fall over or not. Steve, did you bring that whole face down yet or not? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what we need to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We should get there at like 10, do all that, and maybe start and the then fire. some of those trees around it, too. I want to just drop the tree into the burn zone so we could burn the trees out, too. Hell if yeah. you have anything you want to burn, bring it on out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All burnables, any... Like if you have old fuel, old oil, old fucking <laughs> whatever... <laughs> I have shots, and I'll have to. I'll, we'll show them next next podcast because I'll I'll pull the footage. But I have shots where I drove the drone through the fire, but then I pulled out, and then I was like a half a mile away, and I was still in the smoke. This oh, wow. giant, and like you can see, and at that point, Steve's whole property is like this big. Yeah. Then the fucking smoke is like. Jeez, perfect, amazing! It was great. It was fucking amazing. Well, I'll make sure to grab all of my decyclables from the shop. <laughs> be good. Well, that sounds great, man. Sounds like I got a project. All right, we're gonna film it. And we'll we'll do that on Saturday. So sounds yeah. like a plan. Anyone got anything else? Oh yeah, real quick. I bought a motorcycle. Oh, what'd you get? Tell us more. Here it is. Oh boy! Look at that. <laughs> it's a super hawk. It is a super hawk. It's nice. Dude, I, calc- it's a- I calculated it out. It's one sixteenth scale, so I paid three hundred and fifty-seven dollars and fourteen cents per cc. <laughs> what? He paid three, but he paid, but he did. He paid that money per CC. He paid like twenty five bucks, and it, it's like point oh seven CC. There's the engine. Okay, okay. The he engine. takes that back to scale. Right. So if he got takes the little frame and scale, the. Oh, good job, man! <laughs> oh, that's nice. What, uh, what brand is yours, Nick? This is um, MPC. Yeah, it looks like a Mac. MPC. Yeah. I think like that's different than mine. Yeah, it's an MPC. Maya, Maya makes all the Honda shit usually. Dude, that yeah. thing is cool. Hell That's yeah, super cool. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put it, make it look just like mine. It's gonna have some awful paint. It's gonna have oil leaking everywhere. There's yep. gonna be a little parking pass sticker on the fork, just like that mine. Blown, yeah. blown fuse block with melted wiring, electrical smoke coming out of it. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Who makes that one? Rival. That's Rival. Rival. Right? Huh. What uh, scale is that? Is, is that? One sixteenth. Mine's one sixteenth. That Ravel should be one eighth. One eighth. Oh, that's huge. Right. Yeah, that's the Ravel, right? <laughs> so 
Yeah, that's the same. It's, it's got to be at least 16 inches long. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's about maybe four inches long. Here's no, 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 Nick, it's got to be four. This is four. What are you talking about? I told my wife it's right. a four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so John has the same one as this one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep, that's the same bike. So so this one's about half the size. Yeah, it's half the size, right? Yeah. Cuz yeah, John's got the your John's got the Revell and this is the Revell when it's all done. Look at that little yeah. exhaust pipe. That looks way better than my bike. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need those uh the the shrink ray that's opposite. You need the oh, It has the original air cleaners. Oh nice. Yeah, those are impossible to find. <laughs> 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 Excellent. Yeah, that is super cool. But yeah, there I mean, as as far as I'm concerned, those like the whole idea behind these little models, Liza loves these things. Like Liza just gets into these little models like nobody's business. And the uh she'll she'll collect all the different models. But like, yeah, if you look at the the detail on that, if you look at the carburetors. Yeah. And you look at the spark plug wires and even the the timing cover, like there's so much detail in this model. It's, it looks it, like it has it looks like it has a carb sink little like thing sticking out of the carb there. What is that like stick sticking out of it? It's got the no, it's the petcock. Oh, is that so, the petcock? Yeah. So right. Uh, there we go. There we go. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's the what's the wire hanging down that just ends? Oh, that's the drain from the carb. Oh, the drain from the carb is there. Like, it's remarkable how detailed these guys are. But the weird thing is, though, as they get older, they dry out and they become extremely brittle. Mm -hmm. So when they get older, just handling them, they will start to, parts will break off in your hands. Mm -hmm. So it's time to get out this super glue when that happens. Yeah, as you do. Right. Hey guys, I gotta run. I'm gonna jump off. You got right, Chris. Hi, Chris. See ya. Oh, yeah. Well, and next cat. Yeah, there's cat. a cat butt here. More cat ass. Yeah. All right. So, well, right. well Phil, show off your shirt real quick because I don't think you showed up your shirt. So my shirt has got the uh, the original. So anybody who knows uh, knows that I have a, a Vespa scooter. Uh, 250cc fuel injected scooter that's called Scoot Baca and I took a Vespa scooter and I covered it with Chewbacca fur and it's got the full like the Chewbacca uh, shoulder bag messenger bag and all the ammo pouches and stuff on that scooter and so I saw this on uh, James and Renee saw this on T Fury and they bought this for me and uh, yeah I gotta say like this is one of my favorite shirts in the world because you know it's the whole it's Chewbacca, it's Han Solo, and it's a vintage Vespa, so that's kind of right up my fucking alley. Yeah. So, hey, before we leave, um, I just want to mention, if you've made it this long in the podcast, you're probably interested in what we're talking about. Three, so, three hours or so, yeah. So we started a, a, new, a new series called uh, uh, Motor Stories with Uncle Phil. Yep. It's doing really well. We have quite a few things. If you're really bored and you want about two and a half hours at this point of entertainment, Head on over to that. Um, it's doing really well. Everybody that watches it loves it. And we just need more people watching it. But it's really cool. And it's like all the stories, all the kind of like things that we gloss over here on the podcast, Phil gets kind of deep dive into. And it's really cool. I think I like it a lot. We're, we're really getting excited because I there's an episode coming up that is called Silverwing. Mm. We haven't recorded that one yet, right? No. no. 
No. We got to do it. And it's called Silver Wing. Yeah. Silver Wing. Silver that'll Wing. Be, that'll be number one of, uh, of recording session three. So, yeah. And this is one of those ones that, like, anybody who was there when this particular event happened, and I'm telling you, this event nearly killed a man. It, it put a guy in the hospital. It changed his life for the rest of his life. And it was all based on an extreme amount of confidence. Excellent. And no ability whatsoever. I can wait yeah. to hear this. I cannot wait to hear <laughs> it was everything I love in a story. So, yeah, I'm getting so excited because I'm contacting people who were there when it happened. Oh. Because people have pictures and people have video. So, like, if we can get the video and the pictures of this particular event when this happened, if you saw Evil Knievel at Caesar's Palace, nothing compared to Silver Wing. And that's the thing. So, like, even with, like, the worst customer in the world, Right. Like Renee sent over two videos, which like half the story, people were watching it going, yeah, bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. And then we cut to the footage and everybody's like, holy shit, you had the footage from this fucking story. And that makes it all worthwhile. So that was yeah, fucking it's great. a very it's a very interesting thing. But the Silverwing one for particular, like I know there's 120 of my friends who were there when Silverwing happened. Yes. And. It's one of those situations where you're just like, very rarely in life will you see somebody you're like, this guy's a dick and I hope he gets hurt. <laughs> Stop, no, we got to hear actually, it. it happens, actually, it happens a little bit more than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> so, excellent. That's what we've got coming up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of that's kind of one of those ones where you're like, very rarely in life do, does life give you the karmic payoff that you want it to. Yeah. So I have to do this. I have to honor this. I've got to make sure I tell a story in a way that gives the experience to people who weren't actually there, because it's it's important, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. So, uh, that's coming up. So Steve's been working hard. Steve and Fernando do the video setup. And basically all I do is I pour myself a stiff drink and I stand there and I'm like, you ready? (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. It's fun. Well, considering that I do video that I hate all day long, most of the time, it's really fun to do something where we actually are fucking all in in sync and loving every second. So it's fun. That's cool. It's fun. So that's fun. So yeah, check out Moto Stories with Unky Phil at gmail.com. Or just I, Moto Stories with Uncle Phil on YouTube. Whatever. I butchered the shit out of that. So last time when we were doing the shit on camera, I couldn't seem to get Moto Stories. Modi sto- Moto Stories. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> it up again. I couldn't do it. I couldn't fucking do it on camera. I did it wrong like nine times in a row. I just cannot get it because it's it's incredibly ridiculously long. So. What did you say? It's incredibly long, but it's it's sophisticated. <laughs> I said it may be long, but it's distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but we know if we get an email, which we have got, we have got a few. I forwarded one or two. We yes, know we the motherfuckers dedicated because they figured out how to spell the fucking two hundred and seventy-four word long fucking sentence. <laughs> fucking sentence email. The world's worst email address ever. But I mean, we had to take it. We had to. And I was like, fuck, all right. You know what I can guarantee you? That motherfucker was available. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be even funnier if it wasn't. If we had <laughs> stories with Unky Phil. O two, <laughs> that would suck. 
the real moto stories with unky phil <laughs> at twitter.com official terrible oh my god that's that's it okay ride fast and take chances play us out of here don't storm your cap yeah don't do that <laughs> 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 <laughs>